outside. We couldn't see it from our vantage point. Wrestling fans, and welcome to our Vantage Point SummerSlam Spectacular. Wow, the music. The music, of course. I am Joe Murata, alongside, as always, Mr. Michael Quinn, and we are glad to be with you for this special Thursday edition of our Vantage Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast, as we creep towards, Quinn, the biggest party of the summer, uh, allegedly, SummerSlam. Yeah, allegedly. That's allegedly what we're creeping towards. Now, folks, uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, episode number 44 this past Monday. We're back again midweek, helping you end your week right and start your weekend soon. We're going to go through SummerSlam from a retro uh, vantage point, if you will, Quinn. Mm -hmm. You like that? Yeah. That's pretty good. Very clever. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll be joined by a very special guest. I'm sure you know who that is. But before we get to any of that, just want to remind you, of course, you can find us on Twitter at OVP Podcast. You can tweet at us. We like the gifts, Quinn, and the retweets and the things. The jiffies and all that. Yeah, Yeah, the jiffies. And you can also email us if you use that. That is OVP Podcast at gmail.com. And Quinn, we have a Facebook group that's really been uh, heating up, so to speak. Heating up like SummerSlam. Yeah, no pun intended there. Yeah, you can go to Facebook.com, search for Our Vantage Point, and you'll see the discussion group. Hit join, and you're good to go. You can talk about the Superfest or yeah. Slam Summers or whatever. <laughs> it's a good time. And Quinn, uh, obviously we're hosted on SoundCloud, but that's not the only place to listen to us. Where else is there? You can get us over at Apple Podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, click the subscribe button. Leave a review. We love those. Um, also, you can go to Google Play Music, Stitcher, mm-hmm. Blueberry. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and other various places. And other various places, one of which, of course, is placetobenation.com. It's a great little network there, Quinn. They've got some great wrestling-related content. Uh, our show happens to be on there, so you can listen to us twice. Yes, it's, as usual. It's a very good thing to do. Yeah. And you know what came out today? Greetings from Allentown. That's another great uh, show. GF Allentown. GF Allentown with Petey Winson, our yeah. little brother. Yeah. <laughs> little, little brother of little the show. Petey. Little Petey. So go over to the place to be nation.com. You can find some great content there. And like I mentioned, we're here to talk to you about the SummerSlam, as Bret Hart would say. As he always said. <laughs> the SummerSlam. Yeah. In the SummerSlam. And SummerSlam is a pretty big deal in terms of pay-per-views. Obviously, if you remember Monday's show, folks, we talked about the Mount Rushmore and Death Valley of SummerSlam main events. Oh, we did. This time around, we have, of course, a very special guest. He is a published author, a wrestling pundit, an all-around great guy, and a Canadian. It is Saskatoon's Sultan of Smark, Mr. Scott Keith. How you doing, man? Well, you know, SummerSlam is my jam, so that's... Uh, <laughs> this, this is good tonight. I got a fire going in the backyard here, so I'm feeling the heat, you know? Oh, so uh, All yeah. very good tie-ins here with the event that we got going on. Wait, a fire? What what temperature is it? <laughs> <laughs> 17 degrees Celsius right now. Okay. What well, is that, about 50-something? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Yeah, it's, I don't know what it is. We'll leave it to the folks to figure out. Scott, as always, thank you for joining us. Uh, where can people find you these days? All over the place. Uh, of course, there's my website at blogofdoom.com when it's not being hacked. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and of course, I write for the Sporting News as well. Uh, I do a weekly column, 
using my Doc Brown chalkboard here to figure out the timing of when people will be hearing this. Uh, <laughs> the one that should be up now would be the worst attempts to recreate classic tag teams with other wrestlers. Ooh, so that's, oh, that's, that should be the most recent one that just comes out as this podcast is released. But we'll see how the timeline flows. I'm not sure. We'll see how it goes. I mean, really, we're live, but let's not tell anyone that. You know? <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. So, uh, Scott, you have tons of experience watching wrestling, and that's obviously why we bring you on here. You're, you're an expert when it comes to the retro wrestling, which is the field that we deal with. That's my thing. Yes. That's your thing, and that's why we appreciate having you here. Scott, I want to start here at the very beginning. When it comes to SummerSlam, I think we're all kind of in agreement, and I think that WWE would agree, too. Is that their number two pay-per-view of the year? Uh, depends how you look at it, I guess, actually. Uh, as far as buy rate goes, usually Royal Rumble is number two, but uh, as far as importance goes, I mean, like, you know, the way Especially since they moved it to Brooklyn, it's become such a big thing, mm-hmm. just like WrestleMania, right? Where they have the series of four different shows at, at Barclays Center, and it's, you know, they, they do this whole weekend now. So I'd say in their minds, it's the number two show now. Yeah, that's true. They've gentrified SummerSlam. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Yes. <laughs> just like the LA, they, they recently did that with the LA, too. Yes, they a did. A couple of years before. Mm-hmm. So. They were doing the Staples Center yeah, for I guess several it's, years. I guess it's the same now. I guess that's what they do now, is they just keep it at one place for a few years. Is that their new deal? Yeah, it seems to be. They, they sign a deal for a few years to keep it there, thinking then, yeah. Guaranteed sellouts, basically, right? Exactly. It's consistent. You can count on it every single yeah. year. Uh, but obviously, SummerSlam folks started way back in 1988. And even though it may be the second in importance in terms of pay-per-view, it was actually the third one that the WWF did as a pay-per-view. Obviously, WrestleMania had started in 1985. Survivor Series was introduced in November of 1987. And they did dabble with the Royal Rumble on the USA Network, not on pay-per-view, in January of 88. But SummerSlam in August of 88 was their third, uh, you know, pay-per-view of the big four of what came to be the big four. Like ever, right? Yeah. So, Scott, what kind of background do you have? What do you know about how SummerSlam came into being? First of all, I want to throw out a shout out to my boy, Justin Henry, over at What Culture. Okay. I've been been slavishly watching the the fascinating facts about uh, SummerSlam videos with uh, that he he writes and then Adam... uh, narrates there and they, they've been fantastic so we get a lot of juicy information from those okay. that i can feel free to steal but uh <laughs> as for the background of SummerSlam, uh i think it's well known uh, that vince mcmahon is only out to help himself and not hurt the other guy that <laughs> yeah, <the> so <laughs> that's what he tells us so i mean it's you know it, it, it was shown again in SummerSlam because at the time back in 1988 as a way to help himself and not hurt the other guy vince had an exclusivity deal with all the pay-per-view uh providers and the deal said that if the WWF put on a pay-per-view event, then nobody else was, they were not allowed to carry a pay-per-view event from any other provider, uh, from any, like any other wrestling company for 30 days before or 30 days after. Okay. Okay. So, uh, around July of 1988, Ted Turner and, and TBS were co-producing pay-per-views for the NWA and which became World Championship Wrestling. And so they, they came up with a great idea. Ted Turner was like, Hey, we got the Great American Bash tour that we're doing. We should cap this off with a pay-per-view. In July of 1988, we'll call it the Great American Bash. And that was great. And then Vince McMahon said, uh, uh, oh, no, sorry, I forgot to mention, <laughs> we're doing this pay-per-view in August <laughs> called SummerSlam, but we hadn't mentioned before, but yeah, it's going to be there now, so you can't be on pay-per-view with the Great American Bash. So so a lot like the Survivor Series situation. So a lot like the Survivor Series situation, yes. So amazingly, they came up with this pay-per-view that they had been intending to do all along, but just hadn't mentioned <laughs> anybody 
<laughs> so a couple of months before. Oh, you know, they just wanted to keep it a secret, obviously, right? They just, they just wanted to keep it a secret. Secret slam. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> secret slam. So, so, so astonishingly, so yeah, Great American Bash had to be moved up a month before mm-hmm. uh, to get it out of the way of SummerSlam. And, uh, and yeah, everybody was happy and it worked out great for everybody. Yeah, it worked out great for Vince, of course. <laughs> worked out great for Vince. How about that? Huh? Yeah, yeah, it's huh. amazing, actually. It, it always does. <laughs> it does. Now, uh, when it comes to SummerSlam 88, that was held at the Garden and it was a big feel to it from everything I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I happen to have. I have odd feelings about that pay-per-view, to be to be honest with you. Quinn, I don't know why. I, I, I think like it's it? a feel-good pay-per-view. I, I don't it have any good. problems with the 88 SummerSlam. It might be Billy Graham. He's attacking a man with the junkyard dog, brother. Like I said, he's got a head as hard as a coconut, my man. It yeah, well, really yes. might be Billy Graham. Scott, what are your thoughts overall on 88? Uh, well, Billy Graham is, of course, one of the worst color commentators of all time. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that was, yeah that, was, that was there. I mean, you know, obviously, it has some of the best some some incredible moments, like primarily the you know Ultimate Warrior beating Honky yep. Tonk Man, right in thirty seconds, which was you know an amazing part of my childhood that I rented the tape and and wore it out watching it back and forth over and over again. So that was that was pretty fantastic. Uh, the main event always felt kind of like originally that's not you know the way the main event was supposed to go. This was part of the whole thing with Ted DiBiase supposed to get the world title and keep it until SummerSlam and probably either uh, lose it to Hulk Hogan or Randy Savage or some combination thereof, and then that got screwed up. So like. We ended up with the tag team match with the Mega Powers, which ended up working out well in the long run. Yeah, I think it did. And if you look at it, too, on paper, it is a pretty high-profile match for that period of time. She is now our manager, and you and I are fighting for her honor, Macho Man. No way, I don't think so. Oh, definitely. I mean, I always think of this as, like, the height of, like, Randy Savage's first reign. If you if you really think about it, as a like, fi- yeah, as a face like, anyway, smack in the middle and like it's, you know, he's teaming with Hogan and I, I don't know. Everything just feels good about it. And the secret weapon with Elizabeth, like, yep. And Jesse Ventura's in the middle of everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As far as, as far as circus atmosphere goes. Yeah. For, yeah. For sure. There's <laughs> exactly. a lot of things in that, right? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's not the greatest match I've no. ever seen, but I mean, I don't know. I just I love I love the whole way it plays out. I And I've said it on this show a million times. It's, it's one of my that's kind of why it's one of my favorite pay-per-views. Is I, I understand. That, yeah. I think it still has a bit of an odd feel to it. One of the things I did want to bring up about SummerSlam 88 is it seemed like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Scott or Quinn, there were some matches where people were fighting people they weren't feuding with. I seem to remember something to do with like Rick Rude against, I think it was Junkyard Dog instead of Jake Roberts, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So, so basically that was, that was the kind of a, uh, the primary function of the booking at the time, right? So the, the thought process going on at the time from guys like George Scott was that you don't want to give away the house show main events uh, on TV, essentially, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that was that was basically the thinking, was that, you know, why why give away, they don't want to give away Jake Roberts and Rick Rude, for example, on a pay-per-view, because that's not the way the business functioned at that point. It was still very much geared towards driving people to go see the rematch in Madison Square Garden the next month, where mm-hmm. you actually would see Jake Roberts against Rick Rude. So, I mean, it was understandable there, right? You have one or two marquee matches, and then the rest is just kind of like disposable throwaway garbage that's on there to, to <laughs> fill out the pay-per-view time. Right. I also yeah. seem to recall uh, the big boss man fighting Coco Beware for some reason. Yes. And yep. it's kind of a weird thing. He just kind of destroys him. He does. It's a little strange. Yeah, it's it's a very, very oddly put together show overall. Mm-hmm. They were still fine either way with the pay-per-view thing. Uh, SummerSlam 88 didn't do what you would call great business for the WWF either. Like <laughs> okay. It was... Mm-hmm. Even by early pay-per-view standards, it was pretty much, it was very mid-level. And it's actually kind of surprising they continued on with it, other than the, the factor of spite 
and uh, <laughs> you know, powerful force. But yeah, you know, and, and, the, and the fact that you know, making making a couple of million dollars off a pay per view is still better than making a couple hundred thousand off a house show. Well, I'll say this about it: after you know, when you watch that first one, the timing of where it is in the year, it had an atmosphere to it. The first summer, it really like. I know it's a little like hit over the head with it, but it feels like it's hot in there and things are going on, doesn't it? Like <laughs> it does, I, it's, it it's, it's going to sound stupid. Well, the, garden, but, the garden was a pretty hot, sweaty place back yeah. then, you know? So that's 1988, folks. Moving on to 1989, which was uh, in Jersey this time. They just moved across the Hudson River to the Meadowlands. Yeah, right in our neck of the woods. Right in our neck of the woods there. This was uh, not <laughs> on paper as good a main event. And it, of course, is Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake <laughs> teaming up against Macho Man and Zeus and Scott, I have to ask you here, why with the Zeus? <laughs> why with the Zeus? Zeus was drawing money. What? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, as, as, as terrible as the movie was, like he, he didn't function very well as a heel in the movie, but I mean, as a wrestling heel, yeah, he was doing business. Like uh, SummerSlam '89 was actually way up over '88. What? From, like, what? Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it's strange. True. Wow. It's, it's it's strange but true. But no, Zeus and Zeus was a actually a significant ratings mover when he did his appearances on Saturday Night's main event. So I mean, it's really odd because like say as as far as a movie character goes, he was completely worthless. <laughs> Didn't work at all. But you actually take that same character and put him in the context of wrestling, and it actually works. Crazy. Uh, for, for the short time, until, of course, he has a match, and then he's completely exposed, and that <laughs> yeah. magic is gone after one match, but, you know. You know what You know what always took me by surprise about that match? It's this whole thing with Sherry, and why is she now, like, a witch, like, and she knows, like, magic and stuff? Like, do you remember that? Like, they're showing them over, like, a cauldron or something? <laughs> like, cauldron, yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah. Where did that come from? Because I don't ever remember <laughs> before or after Sherry being portrayed that way. <laughs> it's such a weird thing, right? It was weird. And as the bubbles rise from the cauldron of magic, tiny particles will just evaporate. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they needed, you know, magical intervention to get a match out of Zeus or something. I'm, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that's a very fair point. I do remember the high spot of that match is Hogan body slams him, and Tony Schiavone sells him body slamming Zeus like it was the like it was Andre or something. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. Hey, Zeus! Like it was yeah, the- well, that's, that's what I mean, though. That's that's why it works so well. He picked up Zeus! You know, as it's like a jaded fan now, it's like it's goofy and stuff. That, you know, watching it back, but I mean, I mean, at the time, I was as a fan, I was terrified of Zeus. You know, I was like, oh my god, mm-hmm. this guy's. You know, he's just like I was more terrified that he was going to be in the title match at WrestleMania or something like that. <laughs> but I mean, like. But I mean, like he was, it was actually a pretty scary, effective uh, character that Vince came up with for him. Well, there you have it, folks. Scott Keith, wrestling pundit, published author, and an appreciator of Zeus. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> okay, well, I appreciate it more so than I was at the time, I will say. Let's let's not go crazy over the line here. Like that, right? I don't my, want to be quoted out of context. My apologies. Uh, moving on <laughs> within 89, the opener is something I think always worth talking about. It's an excellent tag team match, Quinn, with the Heart Foundation against the Brain Busters. You recall that one, Michael? Yeah, it was. I, I mean, that was them feuding. With, didn't they feud with each other for a little bit? A it, little, but bit. it wasn't like a. It was that wasn't a title feud, right? It wasn't. I don't be- recall it being. One. It wasn't. No, because be- the brain the brainbusters didn't have the titles at the time when the match was signed. So. Yeah, right. 
And um, and I think if I'm not mistaken, actually, weren't wasn't it really the Rockers that were in the midst of the Busters feud, or was that over by then, Scott? Oh yeah, no, that was that was still it was very much uh, Rockers and Brainbusters. Yeah, right. So they kind of just threw the Hart Foundation out there for the sake of the pay per view because I I think Quinn and I were talking recently. Didn't the Hart Foundation wrestle as singles for much of '89, except on pay per view? Yeah, pretty much. They they were doing stop and start pushes with Brett as a single for a while, right? Especially against you know Bad News Brown and that kind of stuff. And yeah, it was. <laughs> It was a weird period for them. Like, you know, they basically, you know, from Brett's perspective, he kept getting promised these pushes and then Vince would be like, ah, no, no, <laughs> yeah. just take, take your idiot brother-in-law and go out there and have some more tag team matches. <laughs> you know, in a weird way, I feel like this, to me, it comes off as this is getting the most bang for their buck from the Brain Busters, them being there in the WWF and they're feuding with the Rockers and the Heart Foundation, all these good workers. Did you think that 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 was part of it a little bit, Scott? Oh yeah, I think so. Like they were they were looking for for real good opponents for them. I mean, like you know, we can double back a little bit to SummerSlam '88 with the whole sure. Brainbuster situation as well, because I mean, like the original plan for the stupid brother love segment with Axel Duggan, it was the idea was actually Ric Flair. Like they were they were actually trying to get Ric Flair to come in to do that. It came surprisingly close to happening, in fact, um, which is another reason why they wanted to do the SummerSlam card on pay per view because they figured that he would be. They would be signing the NWA World Champion, and you know this, this is something where they want to have it on on there. And then, of course, that all fell through, and it was that would have been a way yeah, but it would have been way better, obviously. But I mean, like, the, but that's the thing though, is that they were kind of that was kind of the rough intention was to have you know Flair and then the Brainbusters come in because then and then bring JJ Dillon in on, on the back end of it, and like kind of that's that's kind of what they were shooting for there. But uh, obviously, when the Flair thing fell through, and then they just had the Brainbusters, then they had to they had to kind of retool it. But I mean, I think they did pretty good with the Brainbusters for what they had. I think so. Kelly and Arn were never guys that were going to succeed in the steroid promotion like the WWF. And I, and I mean, they got themselves over really well until Telly, you know, flushed his career down the toilet. <laughs> flushes cocaine down the toilet, too, probably. Flushes, okay, she should have. I mean, if he'd done that, then he might have still be employed. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, it shows, you know, the, the Busters came in. They were fresh. They were exciting. They were different. Yeah. And they had some excellent matches with the Rockers and, and, the, and the Heart Foundation. There was I love that that match is on there. And I love that that match happened because it really is a great slice of kind of like an old school 80s tag formula. The heels kind of cheat to win. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. an excellent little match. Yeah, and I mean the Brainbusters actually like they were they were consummate pros. Like they knew how to, how to have great matches with like all of these the kind of like mid level tag teams that they had mm-hmm. uh, on the babyface side there, right? Like they come in, they could have you know a decent match with the Bushwhackers even mm-hmm. if they had to, and mm-hmm. you know, the Rougeau brothers. You know, so I mean like there was there was like a variety of of people that they could they could work with as well. Like, it was hard to get a really bad match out of the Brainbusters typically. Yeah, no, they overall had a great tag roster at that point, and the Brainbusters were like a cherry on the top. They were at that point to me. Well yep. said, Quinn. Yeah. Yep. Another match at SummerSlam '89 that I think is kind of underrated. Maybe it's not, but it, it may be underappreciated. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the Rockers and Tito Santana against Rick Martel and the Rougeos. It's a great <laughs> little six man. It's very fun and very fast paced for '89. You, you remember that one, Scott? Oh yeah, absolutely. That one still annoys me because, <laughs> in, in the sense that you know, I was, we've been waiting for the blow off for Rick Martel against Tito Santana on <laughs> yeah. forever, and we never got it. And you know, it's just ah, oh, it was the. It was frustrating, but uh, yeah, no, no, it was a great match. I mean, I, I loved it. It's funny. I have good memories of that because um, I remember Rick Martel cuts a really funny promo at the end. Something, you know, all that you're a loser, Tito Santana. More of he, that, yeah. Yeah, but he's more like fired up than usual. <laughs> and I just, it always made me laugh, that whole thing. Like, I don't know why. Well, I'm sure I'll edit it in right about here. So <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have my look. 
my body, my ability, my speed, my agility. That's right, Santana. You don't have anything. Yeah, that's a nice little match. Overall, the 89 card. Uh, gentlemen, what do you thought? Scott, I'll start with you. I, I enjoy a lot of it for what it is. I, I really enjoyed the Rick Rude Ultimate Warrior match, which is basically Warrior's best match ever. Yes. And yeah. it also contains the all-time greatest Jesse Ventura rant ever committed to uh, to pay-per-view, <laughs> uh, where you know he's, he's attacking him on the outside, and 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 uh, Tony defends it by saying, "Oh, and it's you know he's it's on the outside; it doesn't count." And Jesse's like, "So what if he pulls out a gun and shoots him on the outside?" <laughs> That's a disqualification. Where the hell is the referee? That's outside of the ring, Jesse. So what? As much, it can just be a count out here. What are you going to tell me, Shivani? You can shoot somebody outside the ring as long as it's outside the ring? Well, no, that... You know, you're even dumber than Monsoon. That that match was fantastic and set up a great feud with, with, with Rowdy Roddy Piper. And oh, yeah. uh, as noted, mm-hmm. yeah, the six man was great. The Brain Busters match was great. Uh, I, I don't really, you know, honestly, when I'm watching the tape, I stop it for the main event. So I don't really <laughs> have any specific memories of that. I thought you liked Zeus. <laughs> yeah, the big Zeus fan, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to be careful, man. The end, like the Zeus people are going to hack the bloggers. <laughs> <laughs> They're the culprits the whole time. Yeah. They, the they must people. be. I, I'm trying, trying to figure it out the Zeus virus or something. But yeah. uh, no, I mean, like, yeah, overall, overall, yeah, I have, I have good memories about the show, and uh, I, I, I enjoy watching it, for sure. Aside from weird oddities, like, you know, Dusty Rhodes and Honky Tonk Man getting, like, 15 minutes or whatever ridiculous yeah. thing it was. Yeah, that's weird. And that's another situation where a SummerSlam kind of scenario where someone's fighting someone they're not feuding with, because Dusty was feuding with Boss Man, was he not? Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and then, yeah, the weird thing, like, uh, Terry Taylor and... Uh, Mr. Perfect, we're looking to have a really good match, but Taylor completely blew out his knee uh, 30 seconds into the match, and they had to cut it short. Yeah. Like two minutes, whatever. That's, so that could have been another you know great match that was tacked onto there, but uh, yeah, things happen. Well, it should have been the match to uh, determine if, if Rooster could win back the Mr. Perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> well, would you say the Rooster cocked it all up? Oh! <laughs> okay. Let's go to the 90s. <laughs> So, <laughs> SummerSlam 90 was in Philly this time. So we're staying within big markets at this point. I want to start by talking about the main event. It was a double main event, folks. And it was the the first match of that double main event, which Hulk Hogan returning from his big get well Hulkster thing that Ugh. happened. Scott's Ugh. favorite. Oh, yeah, my favorite. <laughs> uh, fighting Earthquake, John Tenta. And the second match of the double main event was the now world champion Ultimate Warrior fighting Rick Rude, defending his title in a steel cage match. And Scott, I want to ask you, do you think the Warrior being in a double main event now at his first pay-per-view defending the title with Hogan right behind him in a match before and getting much of the hype, do you think that hurt the Warrior's reign or did it not matter at that point? Oh, no, it definitely hurt. He he still had a chance to be salvaged there. And yeah, they would just, anytime you say double main event in wrestling, (laughs) that's code for, you know, both these matches don't have enough. Code for Hogan, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's true. How, how many times has that happened? WrestleMania with Hulkster, 9, yeah. WrestleMania 8, yeah. SummerSlam 90. That's Every true. match with Goldberg and WCW, you know. Like. Oh, shit. I forgot about that. Yeah, like in 98, right? Mm-hmm. Hogan always stole half of the main event. He always had to have half the main event. Yeah. Now, the, the whole Earthquake Hogan thing, that was never really blown off. If I recall correctly, Hogan beats him by countout, I think. Did they ever? What? Why did they never blow this feud off? Because he kept drawing money. Oh, okay. Typically what was happening, you know, in the house show run is you'd have, you know, the bad guy would beat Hogan by count out or disqualification or whatever. And then they'd come back again and Hogan would, would beat him on the second go around and, you know, houses would drop and drop and drop. Right. And, you know, yeah. But with the earthquake thing, they just, they just, they kept drawing. So they, you know, they did the first run and kept drawing. So they kept trying to keep it strong and then they 
you know, and then they did SummerSlam non-finish and they did another round of house shows and it was still going. And it was something like four or five go rounds before they finally had Hogan beat him with a leg drop. Interesting. So I guess you would say Earthquake is the ultimate big fat heel. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he did very, he actually did very well against Hogan, which is what lends us up to the argument. And then Earthquake should have been the guy that Warrior was defending against. Yeah, uh, you know. Having Hogan right. in there messing around, right? Honestly, yeah, because that would have been much more of a threat, I think, for the Warrior. Not that the, not the Rude wasn't credible, but the, I, I have a whole thing with yeah, this. Go ahead, I, I think that Rude was blundered more than anybody at this point in time because we saw, you know, a couple years later that you could center a company around this guy. And I don't know. It, it just felt like they could have done more with Rude at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They could have done more. He, he just kind of loses here. Like, and he just kind of loses. And there's nothing else to it. And he actually had, he, he had just lost on Saturday Night's main event as well. It was a really weird yeah. sequence of things. I mean, like he had spent most of 89 getting beat by warrior. Then, you know, he, he like beat like Jimmy Snook at WrestleMania <laughs> and cut his hair to heat him up again, right? And it's like, well, okay, there is, he cut his hair. Okay, that's great. That's, he's, you know, give him the world title. World there, title. Guess, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they, they did botch that. I'll tell you what, there was a, uh, a great moment there in one of my personal favorite Heart Foundation matches. And of course, that's the Heart Foundation winning the tag titles for the second time in a two out of three falls match against Demolition. Quinn. Excellent. Yeah, start with you, Quinn. What You love that? I, I love that. And and to me, this is where we start to get into those good SummerSlam feelings that kind of went for about three years here with, I bet I would say 90 to 92. Yeah. I mean, it was like these big, like, big, big babyface wins. Honky Warrior was probably the template for yeah. that 88. And then it just keeps rolling. Yeah. And I feel like that's the big highlight in there. Right. In that SummerSlam. But yeah, just such great memories of that. And that that was two out of three falls, right? Two out of three falls. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yep. So that was that was just excellent. And the whole the all the stuff with the demolition switching mm-hmm. thing. And it, it was great because it had that feeling, too, of like the Heart Foundation. Everything's going against them. They have no chance and they overcome them. It's just a great just another feel good thing. And it it goes along with the pattern. It's SummerSlam to me is always the feel good pay-per-view, at least that's, at this point. In that's time. a good point. And it also has one of your favorite moments when the Legion of Doom come out and look at demolition. Yes. that. <laughs> Again, more <laughs> evidence that Legion of Doom sucks. <laughs> Whoa. But, uh, <laughs> we can we talked about that already. We right? have. Scott, I know um if I recall correctly, this is matches a big favorite of yours too. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's kind of funny actually, because going through and doing the old observers now on the website, it turns out it back at the time it was such a foregone conclusion that the Hart Foundation were getting the titles. Like Bret Hart knew this like three months in advance or something like that. <laughs> and you know, he they just put you know, he Dave would just be talking about matter of fact, oh yeah, Hart Foundation are getting the tag team titles at SummerSlam, blah blah blah. Huh. When they added Crush into there on TV and it was like, Wow, this is this is this is gonna be bad news for the Hart Foundation, right? Because there's three of them. Right. You know, of course you know, at the time we didn't know, you know, what was going on and the bad blood with Axe and everything like that and the reasoning behind adding Crush to it. Unfortunately, you know, Crush was such a weak addition to the team in a lot of ways so oh, I mean, it yeah. could have been yes, even a better match as it is but uh i always loved it and yeah and like just the, the, the feel-good moment of the ending of it you know like and, and jim neidhart laughing maniacally yes after winning the titles you know it's the kind of thing you don't see very often right is you know uh baby faces giving the titles and you know and legitimately celebrating like they're actually happy and they're yeah you know like it's like they've actually won something you know like it's it's kind of a lost thing right uh, a lot of ways with wrestling you know as opposed to like somebody like dead-eyed randy orton who 
gets the world yeah. title, like, goes home and takes out the garbage and injures his shoulder. Again, right? No, <laughs> yeah, it's true though. The tag the tag titles here feel so important. They do. Like, they yeah. feel like the world title or something in this match. Yeah, like exactly. everything's hanging in the balance. And from a kayfabe perspective, taking Meltzer out of it, just this match presented. Mm-hmm. It's it's so entertaining. Absolutely. Yeah. Extremely entertaining and a great moment. Here's what's not, in my mind, a great moment. And I want to get both of your thoughts on this one. I will start with you, Quinn. But the background, folks, Kurt Hennig was the Intercontinental Champion since April, Mr. Perfect. And he had been set to defend it against Brutus the Barber Beefcake <laughs> um, at SummerSlam. Brutus the Barber Beefcake on the 4th of July uh, basically broke his face in a <laughs> parasailing <laughs> encounter. And then that's why he was later the man with no face. No. <laughs> uh, so as a last minute replacement, they bring in uh, Carrie Von Eric, who broke off half of his foot uh, in a motorcycle accident. <laughs> I, was just, I was just going to say the man with no face uh, replaced with the man with no foot. <laughs> and Carrie uh, Von Eric came in with this weird Texas tornado nickname slash gimmick he would be like i'm a tornado or something <laughs> <laughs> that, he's weather yeah he was weather um which i believe we had a tornado watch up in uh, saskatoon today huh scott <laughs> yes we did what a bit of happenstance there yes <laughs> and uh he debuted or n- maybe not debuted but he was on the saturday night's main event in july that scott had referred to with rick rude and i think he beat buddy rose or some shit it didn't matter <laughs> and uh <laughs> well, buddy rose was in a dark match at this card yes against, he was right shane douglas yeah, yeah. that's not good yeah uh, but anyway so texas tornado is the last minute replacement now for brutus beefcake mr perfect one of the best intercontinental champions you know ever probably but he would be even better if his reign wasn't interrupted here by Kerry Von Erich. I thought it was, I, I get they had to do what they had to do and, and, you know, compensate for Beefcake not being there and maybe pop a, some interest or something. But Scott, what do you think of this whole Texas tornado going over Hennig here? Well, I mean, the, the more observer stuff that I, I go over, the less and less respect I have for Kerry Von Erich, which is really, mm-hmm. really kind of sad to learn, you know, all the stuff that he had going on. Like that. Um, originally, it was actually British Bulldog who was supposed to step in and take over for Rufus Beefcake, but they couldn't work out visa issues. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, I mean, like Bulldog ended up debuting around Survivor Series, I think. Yeah, right um, around somewhere then. on there. Like, yeah, and his new his new guy is as Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, rather yeah. than <laughs> and taking us. But yeah, that was that was actually the way they they wanted to go with it, and it fell through. So yeah, they ended up having to get Kerry Von Eric because basically he was kind of the biggest star that they had. Uh, left available there. And I mean, Vince always wanted to do something with Kerry Von Eric. I mean, like he pretty much had coveted him since 84. And um, part of the reason that he came in was that there was actually a bidding war between WCW and the WWF for him mm. at that mm. point, which is crazy that people would be like <laughs> fighting over Kerry Von Eric in 1990. Yeah, yeah that is weird. You know, but I mean, like the thing is, it's like nobody, he hadn't been on the national stage in such a long time that nobody knew how far he had fallen, essentially. So they brought him in, and, you know, I guess it was a thing where, you know, Brutus Beefcake was out, so they had to put the baby shape over to justify it. And, and again, like, Vince McMahon wanted to give Kerry Von Erich every chance to succeed. I mean, like, you know, you look at him, and he looks like a matinee idol, right? So this is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the kind of guy that, that's that's right up Vince's alley. And, like, it's kind of astonishing that it only took, like, two weeks for Vince McMahon to realize what a horrible mistake he had made and then <laughs> it, it switched things back again, right? Because pretty much, yeah. like, as soon as he got the title, they were like, oh, shit. Yeah. Well, what have we done? So, yeah, it was, so they did change that one back there. I think, I think they just want to take a shot and, like, you know, see if they could get anything out of them. It, it's weird with this because I say this to you all the time, 
What? For whatever reason, I heard through the grapevine or on some WWF thing that like Carrie was like suicidal or something, and that's why they gave him the title here. And I swear to you, like now that we're talking about it, I swear I heard this on a WWF like thing. Oh yeah, they always tell the truth. Yeah, I'm I, like on something like about them, like mentioning. I think this. it was more he was suicidal afterwards, and that's why they took the title off him. It wasn't a reason to put a title on him, but basically, like he won the title, and then he, he started. He, he was basically uh, he was having trouble with the drugs, and he got put on suicide watch, and they had to get the title off him immediately. Right. Okay, then that clarifies it for me because all these the, all these years, I've always thought that like they were like give it to him so he just doesn't do <laughs> no. it. Like, yeah, I don't know why. Like it just. Every time I look at this match now, I think of that like stray comment on some DVD <laughs> or something. As if anyone on a WWE DVD commenting would ever lie. Yeah. Was it was it Steve Lombardi or JBL? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't know who it was. It was just it was many years ago. At nothing this point. It was not from Steve Lombardi on a DVD. Yeah, what <laughs> is that his job now? <laughs> I think it is, yes. Just commenting. That's what he does now. You know, one other thing that's notable at this pay-per-view. Yes, Quinn. I will say that I, I do want to just discuss for a second. Go ahead. The whole Sapphire, like, going with the Million Dollar oh, Man good. thing. yeah. Can you explain that, Quinn? <laughs> yeah, so basically, like, for, like, a couple weeks, she was, like, getting, like, fur coats and, like, diamond rings and all this. And I just love this because in the midst of this, she's feuding with, like, Sherry yeah. and stuff, and yeah. Sherry's telling her, you know, you're a peasant and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> She's not even a person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I fail to see what's so funny about a missing person. I said she was missing. I didn't say anything about her being a person. <laughs> so, you know, the, the pay-per-view comes, and they're supposed to have this match, and this is weird because Sherry shows up in like a cat dress or something. Like she went from being a witch to being a cat. Yeah, yeah a cat in high <laughs> heels about to wrestle for some reason. Yeah, Sapphire doesn't show up. Right, and then you come to find out that you know the million dollar man just to be an <laughs> asshole like bought Sapphire off just because he hates Dusty Rhodes. And doesn't she just show her coat yes. or something? She just like, <laughs> what, she doesn't say anything. She just kind of like, like sashaying all over the, all over the screen and look at my coat. Like, you know, like and that's it. It's just so weird. And million dollar man just cackling like guys screwed you over. Like got you real good. Scott, well, wh- why did they do that? Uh, they just wanted to write Sapphire off basically. It's, uh, okay. Pretty much what it was. Like, they, yeah, they were, they were, they were just done with her, and they're just like, oh fuck it, we'll just yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ted DiBiase will buy her off, and that's it. She'll be off TV. What's funny is I've watched some of the superstars like after this. There's like a couple of weeks of promos that you could tell were all filmed Taped. at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, like shit, or like her just like standing by him, and he's like, <laughs> "I hate you, Dusty." It's like it's like so weird. You know what? What's also weird before we leave SummerSlam '90, tying in with that, is Savage squashes the shit out of Dusty Rhodes in like two minutes at that pay-per-view. Oh yeah, writing was on the wall at that point for Dusty Rhodes, let me tell you. Damn, that's like... yeah. That was like the Ric Flair, you know, the Ric Flair retirement tour that he did where, where, you know, like he had to to win or else he'd retire. Yeah. Uh, Except it was was the opposite for Dusty Rhodes. It was like, Vince is like, you're gonna lose every fucking match and then I'm gonna (laughs) upset the retirement. It's pretty much the way that it ended up at that point. He wanted out of the Dusty Rhodes relationship, really. So he was he was pretty much trying to drive him out out of the promotion. It worked. I will say this, you know, um, to me, as a kid watching this, like, on tape or whatever, it always came off to me like, I guess Dusty's just sad about losing Sapphire, so he's distracted. And that's, that's what why they played he, it off yeah, as. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I fell for it. But. Yeah. Well, it was very interesting to say the least. Let's move on to 91 now, folks, and we are 
once again back at Madison Square Garden, and we have a some very interesting double main event this time. We <laughs> we have the match made in heaven, <laughs> which was a wedding that wasn't a real wedding because they were already married of Savage and Elizabeth. And we have the match made in hell, and that's the one I want to focus on. <laughs> yeah, it was from hell, all right? It was from hell. Scott, I made this point on Monday's show with Quinn. We were talking about the worst SummerSlam main events. The reason this match means nothing to me now or when I first saw it in, or in any time I've ever looked at it is because Hogan had already beaten Slaughter not only at WrestleMania, but probably at a ton of house shows and also at the Desert Storm match that was televised from MSG. Warrior had, I think, beaten Slaughter. Maybe, obviously, I know the Rumble, but Warrior, I think, had beaten him at some point. Maybe not. But then also in the match is fucking the Iron Sheik in 1991 <laughs> yeah. and, and General Adnan. So was this, Scott kind of the definition of like a filler main event did they have other plans did they have no plans what what happened here there's rumors of doing warrior against hogan for a while there and then and and there's it's all very muddied a lot of it is based on things that warrior said after the fact and legal depositions and stuff but i guess the idea that that the warrior was pushing was that warrior that was that vince wanted him to turn heel and face hogan either here at wrestlemania warrior kept refusing and led to the whole boondoggle with the you know the the payoff where warrior held up vince for for the money and then left right promotion and uh and vince sending him the best passive aggressive fridge note in history <laughs> yes i've seen that <laughs> you've seen you've seen that isn't that that is, that is i you can say many things about vince mcmahon but uh he has many redeeming fat qualities and uh and that was one of them that was like the ballsiest thing that, that i've ever seen but uh yeah so it's i mean i, I mean i do want to say overall i love the pay-per-view like summerslam like one yeah. of my all-time favorite shows but yeah god damn that main event is just terrible oh. It's it's interesting that such a such an awkward main event is the main event of such a fantastic pay-per-view yeah. overall. And I do want to say also, here was something I totally forgot about until just now. Do you remember the the referee in that match, that main event? Sid. Sid. Yeah. Yes. Good point. I forgot yeah. about that too. Now, why didn't did he have a non-wrestle contract yeah, or something? He had <laughs> a non-compete contract. Yes. So Sid was actually not able to get into the ring until uh, around October, October, I think it was, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He was absolutely barred from being in the ring. And he was, they were skirting on very dangerous legal ground with Turner as it is using right. him as a referee. But I mean, you know, like that's, that's how Vince rolls, right? So that's how yeah. Vince rolls. So yeah, he, he would have been in the ring like immediately if he could. Like that was, right. And Vince wanted him out there to be his top guy. Like no question about it. Makes sense. Because it would have made sense to make him the partner, the third guy right. or or something right. yeah, yeah just something interesting because i never <laughs> understood why there this, you go yeah i never understood why this was a handicap match like that's the thing that always boggled me at the time as as you know when i was watching as a fan who didn't really know anything because i was still a couple of years away from being online when when they were going to introduce colonel mustafa i thought that was going to be sid i thought you know because i knew because we kind of you knew sid was coming in like mm-hmm. from from you know like reading the wrestling magazines and that and it's like it seemed like a logical position for him to be Coming in, teaming up as you know, like the lead heel, right? Right. Against Hulk Hogan, and then it was like it's the Iron Sheik, and it's like holy shit, what a letdown that was. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, overall, very awkward main event. You know, I think you said that right, Quinn. Yeah. Just awkward, just weird. Fantastic um, moment though is Bret Hart winning his first singles title against Kurt Hennig. Not the best match they've ever had. Obviously, they had better before and after, mm-hmm. but a nice moment oh. just to see Bret finally win. Yeah. Do tell us exactly what you think about yourself. It's wonderful. I'm just, well, there you go. And and doubly amazing too, because Kurt Hennig's back was just Ugh, a yeah. wreck, right? He was he actually had not been in the ring for about a month and a half prior to that match, right? Like he was right. 
he had to miss all the TV tapings because he, he just couldn't even get out of bed, basically. And uh, it was pretty amazing that he even got out there and, and got that match out of him. Yeah, and I always didn't like that uh, John Tolos was with him because that was Coach. annoying. Uh, Coach was useless, yes. Yeah. <laughs> useless. John Tolos is a fabulous wrestler, but uh, he's, uh, as a manager, no, not so much. I know. I wish. I always wish Bobby could have just hung on for two more months and managed perfect. It wasn't ish, up till that match, yeah. you know. Hindsight being what it is. It's funny though. This pay per view, um, you know, you look up and down the card. Uh huh. This has to be like you know how we were saying SummerSlam was always has like a feel good moment. Oh, there's this so card many has like faces win four feel good moments like. D- Tons of them, like DiBiase D- and Virgil. Virgil and the whole Mountie in jail, <laughs> like all this stuff, yeah. <laughs> like the Legion of Doom, even though I don't like them, uh, yep. but like that's the crowning moment. Like this, this is just one thing after another. This is the Faces Win show, is it not? Yes. No <laughs> yes. doubt about it. If the faces win, the bad guy gets anally raped in prison. I mean, you know, it's got every feel of the moment that you can want, right? For the whole family. (laughs) For the whole family. (laughs) That whole prison thing is, it is like, I love that. Jacques Rougeau is. The the fact that it goes on as the show goes on, (laughs) I always love that. You can't do this to me. You know who I am. You can't do this to me. You can't do that. Oh, you stop, you stupid. You know who I am. I'm the mountain! And I guess it's funny because, like, in The Observer at the time, right, Dave was actually at the show live, and they didn't get any of the prison stuff on, oh. on like, his big screen or anything like that, right? So, right. So he so he was just like, oh, yeah, no, the Mountie lost the match. It was really weird. He just got squashed, and they didn't lead to anything. And then, you know, later on, of course, then he found <laughs> out, you know, he watched the tape and, and saw all the stuff that was that was happening there. But, yeah, obviously, that's the kind of thing. It's kind of gags that you obviously cannot do today. Right. Uh, oh no! <laughs> you know, definitely not. But, no, yeah. no, no. But yeah, I mean, as a show, God, yeah, like it was like baby faces winning mm. up and down, and you know, all these all these wonderful feel good moments, and uh, and yeah, I was I was kind of bummed. I was actually away at like a at like a, a, a writers retreat mm. for that. And it happened to be the weekend of SummerSlam, and I was like, I was like, oh shit, this is where Bret Hart's going to win the, the Intercontinental uh. title, right? You know, I was really bummed. But uh, you know, I ended up watching the tape a million times after after I got back. But uh, yeah, it was, that was a rough one to miss. It's no wonder that that's one of your favorites and one of mine, too, and one of Quinn's because the faces win. Who yeah. would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> and and there's one other thing on this pay-per-view. Go ahead, Sorry, Quinn. one more note. Go ahead, I just go want Because th- there's a lot of things I like about this pay-per-view. Sure. But the other thing is the whole Bobby with the um, world belt yes. and Hogan slams the door on him. Yes. And then he yes. comes back and, and, and Gorilla makes a remark about green on his fingers and yeah. all this. Oh, I, I love that stuff. Hey, boobs! Boy, nice, nice job you hey, did out now, there in the hallway. How'd it go there, Bob? Hey, I'll tell you something. You look good. Well, Ric Flair would have knocked on that door. Hogan would have dropped to his knees, surrendered the World Wrestling Federation. You he serious. took a cheap shot at me. He didn't want to match with me. He didn't want to even talk to me. He tried. He thinks he embarrassed me. He's dead wrong. Nobody embarrasses me. <laughs> So I would assume, Scott, that they knew they had Flair coming in by this point. If they had the belt, he must have been the one to give it to him, no? Yes, but Flair had not actually signed his contract at that point. Uh, so they were treading on some very shaky legal ground there, too, in fact. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know. it was. They were, they were forbidden from specifically mentioning the NWA world title. Understood, yeah. For obvious legal reasons, but yeah, but, but like, say, Flair, Flair had not actually signed a contract. So in theory, after that, he could have went back to WCW. And actually re-signed a contract. And in fact, they were trying to. Like, they were doing, like, literally up until the moment the Flair debut, Turner was doing, like, kind of round-the-clock uh, emergency negotiations with Flair, trying to get him to, you know, wow. 
pull back at the 11th hour and, and, you know, not do this. But it was a great moment for the time. And of course, they completely botched it. But, you know, <laughs> you know, at, at the time, oh, my God, like, you know, seeing, seeing the NWA world title turn up on the WWF pay-per-view was that was makes crazy. your head explode. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty big deal. Let's hop the pond now for 1992 as we go to England, Wembley. We've got some very interesting things going on here. First of all, over 80,000 fans is the announced attendance. This is one of my personal favorite pay-per-views. Uh, I love 1991 as well. I really love 92, and here's two reasons. The first one is, I know, Quinn, you're not as big a fan of this match as I am, and I, so okay. I'll let you answer to it, and then we'll see what Scott thinks. Savage Warrior 2, I know the, the retirement match from WrestleMania 7 is their big one. They're well-known one. I really like this face versus face, but they're mad at each other, and you got Flair and Perfect being assholes. I really like Savage Warrior 2 for the world title at SummerSlam 92. Quinn, real quick. Here's my issue with the match. The problem with all of this is the whole Ric Flair situation mm -hmm. and the fact that he's there, but he's not there. That just drove me nuts. That he didn't with, wrestle? That he didn't wrestle. Yeah, and I understand that he's, like, screwing with them, but I could he have done something else at this pay-per-view? I mean, I it just it feels like this is part of with me and how sometimes I feel like they didn't get the full potential out of having Ric Flair. It's like you have this big SummerSlam, like, outside and stuff, and he's not even wrestling. Well, I always say, who would he have fought? I know, you know, I understand that, but it it's positioned in this way where it's just weird. I I don't know. I what do you, what does Scott think of it? Uh, well, I mean, to say that they didn't use Ric Flair to his full potential would be quite the understatement, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You could throw him in there against like uh, I don't know, like Big Boss Man or something like that. Maybe I'm not, I'm not, I can't remember who was. No, that's fair. Yeah, that's fine. I don't know. I can't. I can't, I can't remember who was doing at the time. But. He was dead. Uh, nails killed him. Oh, he was dead. Okay. Yeah. Well, that would be <laughs> that would be problematic, I guess. But uh, I really like Savage Warrior. I, I think it was I thought it was like a four star match. Actually, I mean, yeah. it was. Uh, no, I didn't have a problem with the match. You it's just don't just like the, the flair is doing that instead of wrestling yeah, at all. The situation's odd. I don't know. It's yeah, just strange. It's yeah, no, I I can I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get it too. But overall, as a match, it's intense. It has, it, it's totally different than the WrestleMania Seven match too, in a lot of ways. Yeah, different Absolutely. story being told, right? right? Different in the ring. And obviously, the distraction of Flair and Perfect make it a little bit more fun. And of course, Bret Hart versus the British Bulldogs. The other reason I love this pay per view. I mean, there's there's other reasons, but Bret Bulldog is a great match. It's um, Bret says it's his best match ever. Like we talked about Monday, Quinn. It's not Bret's hey, best match, that, but that would be WrestleMania ten, yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, but uh, overall, I mean, if you want to talk about feel good moments for at least the hometown crowd, if no one else. Yeah. I don't like to see Brett lose. Scott, what do you think of that match overall? I mean, I love the match, obviously. I, I would have issues with, with saying that it's Brett's match, best match ever because Davy Boy was, you know, whatever his issue was. <laughs> I don't want, you know, I mean, he's dead now, so it, it, it doesn't really matter what accusations we throw at him. But I mean, Brett has basically said that he was, uh, I, I can't remember what. Smoking crack? Yeah, there you go. Smoking crack before the yes. And uh, <laughs> he was essentially uh, a walking mannequin that Brett had to. Had to wrestle the entire match by himself, so that's that, that's fine. Obviously, Brett then would consider that to be his best match. I'm sure. Yeah, because uh, he wrestled himself. Because wow. he wrestled himself. Yeah, it's pretty much. It, it wasn't even, uh, like Bulldog wasn't even supposed to be involved in the match, right? Like when originally when SummerSlam was announced for Landover, Maryland, uh, it was going to be Bret Hart against Shawn Michaels in the ladder match, and that's that how they were great. The title. Right? Yeah, right. So that's that's how they were going to get the title onto Shawn Michaels. And like when they moved to England, they were just like, oh, okay, well there we go. Bulldog can be a transitional champion then for a month. Right, so there was never a plan to make him anything other than the guy that lost to Shawn Michaels. Oh no, definitely not. Shawn, they were they were full on the Shawn train at that point. You know, you guys talking about the uh, him being on drugs or something. Yeah, here. Um, 
I guess that kid at the beginning said uh, the British Bulldog's going to win whether he wants to or not. The British Bulldog's going to win whether he wants to or not. I guess I guess it didn't matter what he what he wanted. It all makes sense now, huh? Yes, exactly. It was a weird dynamic too, because you know Bret Hart was trying to get out of his contract and go to WCW as well, as always. Yeah, as, as always. Usual. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's, like, it's like he well, he finally got what he wanted in 1997, right? But yeah, uh, yeah, but it's you know because everybody's everybody think you know the the thinking of the time was okay. Well, Bret's going to lose and then you know go to go to WCW and then it ended up being often the totally different direction for his career right which is which is an interesting twist yeah winning the world title and and sticking around for five more years yeah exactly (laughs) yeah although i think i think a better finish for the match in wembley stadium would have been british bulldog dedicates the match to his dying sister and then bret hart beats him anyway (laughs) (laughs) they should should workshop that one i think i don't know yeah yeah. at least bret didn't lose his smile yeah exactly <laughs> we're making, Quinn, we're making fun of Shawn Michaels if you can't tell. Yeah, oh, I got you. <laughs> I got you. Uh, I got a couple, couple, couple things to hit on 92 again. Oh, we, go ahead. Don't yep. you? Yeah, sure. Okay, so like the, uh, there was a lot of other weird stuff going on too because I mean, it was, uh, also the last appearance of the Legion of Doom for like five years. Yep. Before oh, they returned no. yeah. seven. So that was, that was kind of historic thing, you know, with Rocco the dummy. Oh, God. They were in another situation in 92 as well because they got, they were actually, uh, both at WrestleMania and at SummerSlam, they were supposed to be challenging for the tag team titles against Money Incorporated. <laughs> and both times the title match got changed on them. That's funny. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just such a weird, it was a weird set of circumstances, uh, around them at the time. And, uh, and of course, Hawk, Hawk showed up and, you know, he was in, it didn't matter whether he was being told he was winning or losing, right? He was not losing. <laughs> Yeah, and then so and then and basically he wanted to go off and be with the Hell's Angels and you know shoot monkey uh, steroids or whatever the hell he was <laughs> doing at that point, right? So uh, <laughs> good for yeah. I don't know if Rocco was the dummy. <laughs> I, I don't know, but if you ever researched the life of Michael Hegstrand, holy crap! Like he was he was into some crazy stuff. You know, the the band was on on steroids at that point, right? And he was on yeah. suspension. So what he did, yeah, he would he would literally source like. Uh, like uh, like hormones that were in the, that were taken out of horses and monkeys and oh. and used in places steroids right like so disgusting I know anyway so I just wanted to talk about that <laughs> thanks for that bright spot there thanks, Scott. Scott no problem on to nineteen ninety three yeah because <laughs> so, yeah, this 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 ninety two yeah. it, it, I say weird. we we all hop on to the Lex Express now That's because so <laughs> because folks in nineteen ninety three at the Palace of Auburn Hills in suburban Detroit Michigan we had Lex Luger now an All American hero because Quinn what did Lex Luger do he defended America's honor by picking up a big fat guy yep on a boat. <laughs> Don't forget the boat part. <laughs> so, of course, he's the natural candidate to fight Yokozuna because he picked him up. Mm-hmm. That's the way I always determine who I'm going to fight. You know, if I can yep. pick him up, that's it. I'm, I'm better than them. You got it. Pretty much, you know, Vince was like, well, we need another blonde guy who's muscular. So there's this guy over here. He looks, he looks like, <laughs> kind of like Hulk. Yeah, Crush. <laughs> yeah, Crush. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, something before we get started with this pay-per-view, because... I'm just thinking about it overall. Go ahead. Boy, has this place changed in a year, huh? What? I mean, you just look at this card and you just, mm. it, it, and it, it, even the way it feels like everything about this is like, to me, a huge transition this, compared to the last year. This is the early warning stages of the uh, new generation, right? I mean, this is like, this is what was to come. Yeah, the new generation, the, a.k.a. they fired everybody from 1992 and had to mm-hmm. replace with all these yeah. scrubs. I mean, that's pretty much what it was, right? It was cost-cutting. 
And for some reason, they relegate Macho Man to commentary and shit like that. Yeah, ridiculous. And ridiculous. He, he could still go too. Yeah, but. The Lex Express finally made it stop <laughs> at SummerSlam 93 as the evil, horrible, terrible foreign champion, Yokozuna, not to mention the previous champion before Hogan, Quinn, was Bret Hart and he was Canadian. So, yeah, I don't know. Foreign. Why do we not have to defend America's <laughs> honor there? I don't know. I don't get what that's all and about. Why couldn't we just accept that? You know what? Maybe it's a world championship <laughs> and that other people can, you know, it doesn't always have to be American people. It's true. But it was and it was Lex Luger and they had this big, you know, hugely hyped match. And I'm assuming, Scott, the finish was was Luger defeated Yoko by count out and celebrated like a with like the Steiners, I think at Tatanka, like a big idiot. Yeah, He's like, like oh, balloons yeah. Yay, I down. won. Yeah, I won my count out. Yeah, I know. Scott Quinn and I were talking on Monday about this match. Actually, was the plan here that you know of to actually build to a further blow off, like WrestleMania ten, for example, and have Luger finally win it, or were they done with Luger? No, the plan was definitely to build to WrestleMania. Okay. Although the funny, it's that was not originally the plan. The original plan was just to get the belt the hell onto Lex Luger. And, and hopefully save the host show business. Really? And then, mm. yeah. And then as they got closer on the Lex Express, then they thought, well, let's press our luck and see if we can stretch this out to WrestleMania after that. They made it to about Survivor Series time and then that was over. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Personally, I think they should have just said, fuck it and had Luger, and Luger win the title on the USS Drepit, right? That would have been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Just do a repeat of the WrestleMania thing, right? Have, you know, Yokozuna throw an open challenge and Luger comes out and slams him and pins him. Fuck He's yeah. the champion and off you go. That would have been better i think because yeah. I mean, people would have been excited at the very least because they, right. they were hyping the shit that out of this happening basically. right like we just, saw yeah. the tv luger just wasn't hulk hogan there's just no yeah. way around it and what they wanted right. was a hogan yeah but if they had hit us like just slapped us in the face with it yeah rather right. than just like like they did with diesel introduce it <laughs> like diesel they might have gotten away with it this right time, because though. it would have been a surprise win instead yeah. of like this fucking bus tour like he's jimmy carter or something <laughs> yeah. Does he run for president? <laughs> exactly. There's also a random Ludwig Borga match. And I, and <laughs> I'm bringing that up for two, for two reasons. <laughs> Number one is because there's a promo right before it. Borga squashes Marty tonight. <laughs> there's a promo before it that Quinn and I love. He's walking next to some dilapidated building <laughs> in Detroit. And he gives Quinn and I one of our favorite lines that we play all the time on the show. America, America is, is crumbling. crumbling. America is crumbling. Because uh, <laughs> I guess he was an environmentalist. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird, right? He, yes, he, he was. Really, That's, that was the idea. He it was, was? He was the precursor to global warming or something. <laughs> well, they wanted, they wanted him to be a neo-Nazi, but then they were like, well, <gasps> we can't do that, I guess. So I guess it's like he's an environmentalist instead, right? Because that's... Because everyone hates them. The same thing. <laughs> yeah. Which is so funny. Luger was supposed to get the title, and then, you know, like Borga was going to get title shots, right? That's why they're giving him that huge push. Good God. For SummerSlam, right? And it's like, yeah. that was going to be the house show run. But Oof. if Luger doesn't beat Yoko here, then what is the right. point of Borga? That's exactly. Like, exactly. There you <laughs> That's go. That's so stupid. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And uh, you understand. That's what they. Yeah. <laughs> What is the point of Borga? <laughs> we can never figure it out. We can never figure it out. The only thing I could say is that he's somewhat of a precursor to Brock Lesnar in terms of like look, look, <laughs> maybe, but like kind of fatter though and more dead. Yeah. So let's move on to another match. I want to mention real quick. Shawn Michaels defends the Intercontinental <sighs> title here against Mr. Perfect in what the WWF basically not with saying it, but saying it without saying it, that it, this was going to be a classic. This is going to be Savage Steamboat, right? 
They pretty much said it. Yeah, there was there was no uh, no no skirting around it. They were they're like, yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be a classic four and a half star match. You know, get your observer out and get ready to <laughs> to send in the letters to Dave Meltzer and you know send send in the star ratings and like that. Yeah, it was it was weird. I was that was like that was really that was one of the first matches I can ever remember them really doing that tactic with. Like, right, you know, right. coming out and saying beforehand, you know, like, you know, this is going to be, this is, this is rather than promoting like any kind of hatred or a feud between them, they're basically saying, yeah, this is a, this is going to be a classic match, right? Like, you know, right. like, they're going to put on a performance for you, you know, and all that. Ooh, yeah. Performance. Know, right, right. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Talk you now, right? Why was this book this way then? Uh, you know, that's a fine question. That's <laughs> like, why? That, that is the thing, right? Like, why, why would they think it was going to be, you know, why would they promote it as a classic match and then be like, okay, so. Shawn Michaels wins by count out when we have Diesel interfere and some yeah. bullshit finish, right? Like, you know, like, what, what the hell is that? Who, who does that? Like, in 11 minutes, no less. In 11 minutes, yeah. It was, it was really weird. But I mean, like, I, I guess, you know, Shawn Michaels was on a reasonable hot streak before yeah. that. Right? Like, he was having great matches with Marty Jannetty, and, you know, Diesel was turning into a hot character. So it's like, it's kind of understandable they thought they had something with it, but it's just like, I don't know. Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect just never clicked for some reason. I, I don't know. Some some people just don't have great chemistry together, no matter if they're great workers. That's but I mean, true. the thing is that they're very similar as workers. It's a thing, right? So it's, it's part of a reason that's a bit of a style clash there is, right? They both want to be the one that goes out, you know, and does this, and, you know, and sells and takes the big bumps and everything like that, right? That's yeah. a good point. Mm-hmm. You know, you need somebody to go up there and, and take the lead on it, right? If they had Bret Hart in that match, five star class. Yeah, with, with either, either of them. them. That's right, yeah. Uh, Quinn, anything you want to say about SummerSlam 93 before we move on to uh, a great one? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's just... It, it's it, a good it, card. It, it, it's okay. It, it's it, okay. It, it's a, like, it just feels like a regression and a decline. From and 92 and 91, You look at yes. some of the stuff on here, like... I what? remember the opening match in that it, it I always felt like sad about DiBiase at the beginning. Oh, he and, was on his way out. Yeah, and like you just look at a lot of the matches here, IRS versus one, two, three kid. It's I don't know. A, not a bad. Yeah. I think it would have been saved somewhat if they had done the original idea of having money incorporated against one, two, three kid and Razor Ramon. That would have been nice. That would have been better. That would that would have been better than the way they went with it, I Absolutely. think. Absolutely. That would have been a hot opener, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. That's it was it was a strange decision to break them up like that. It yeah. was, and then you got the Taker versus Gonzalez. Thing. That's horrible. Yeah. I can't. I can't. I mean, there's that. just a lot of junk but on the, here. To this day, we still don't know what a rest in peace match is. By the way, yeah, <laughs> what, yeah, what? Yeah, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I do. I do have to say though, I do like when when Paul Bear clotheslines Harvey Whippleman. That is funny. <laughs> it just is a little like one off moment where Bobby's like, oh, "Harvey will knock you out," and then Paul Bear just clotheslines him, and that's it. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. funny. But there is a reason why. To me, this is my least rewatched. Ninety-three, really? Yeah, I hate this show. Like, Come I really on, don't man. like it. The but... whole Bret Hart angle. Oh, we didn't even talk about the Bret Hart thing. God, bus full of nuns and orphans. Come yes, on. exactly. The, ca- the fiery wreck. Yes. <laughs> the king yes, the whole king crawled speech. out. Of I know. It. I know. And, <laughs> he, and he heroically goes to the arena and sends his court jester. What happened? I'm gonna tell you what happened if you shut up. The radio didn't work. The brakes didn't work. The airbag didn't work, and as I was pulling up I-75 out here, a little old blue-haired lady who should have had her license revoked about 50 years ago pulled out in front of me, and she caused about a 10-car pileup. Must have been Helen Hart. 
wonderful. It's great. <laughs> it was great. It was legitimately like a like a whole four star deal. I was it was amazing. I agree with you hundred percent, Scott. That's such a wonderful angle. All right, <laughs> let's go to uh, enough of this paper. Yeah, <laughs> let's go to the brand new United Center in Chicago, Illinois, for SummerSlam '94. So I was very excited for what wasn't actually the main event, and that would be the Bret Hart-Owen Hart steel cage match for the world title. I love this match, even though there's no blood and it's not as you know violent as maybe like a, right. a steel cage match would be. I think it's a fantastic match, a fantastic angle with the guy, with all the Hart family trying to run in at the end, and mm-hmm. Bulldog finally makes a save. Quinn, we'll start with you. What do you think of that match? You said it. It, it. it just it has a big feel to it. Yep. You know, like just it, it, like how you were like hyped for it. I mean, uh-huh. you know, and I don't know. I, I think it's the perfect blow off to the feud. It really they, was, they would, yeah, you know, but... kind of linger feud for a while yeah. until the Hart Foundation formed in uh-huh. 97. But yeah, it, it's fantastic. And I know Brett's told stories about oh, it was so safe coming on. You know, you know how he always goes on and on about that. So, I, you know, I have nothing really bad to say about it. When I remember suplexing Owen off the top of the cage into the ring, standing off the top, that's a long ways down. And um, when I think about Owen, especially in the th- how things ended for him, and I remember that just how important it was for me to uh, to protect him as we fell back into the ring. I mean, it's just a great match. What do you think, Scott? I, I think clearly it's one of the within the confines of the shitty WWE big blue steel cage mm-hmm. right. format. You know, it's that, that was pretty much the best they were going to get out of it. And of course, they had to. They were trading a very fine line of sponsors at that point, and uh, you know, they couldn't do anything super violent, and they couldn't do blood, and yada yada yada. Right. So I mean. Uh, it's a fantastic match. Uh, I gave it five stars personally. I've I've always loved it. I mean, yeah, it's it's like it's super entertaining. You know, set up some great stuff with British Bulldog making his uh, surprise yep. comeback at the end there. Well, escaping WCW, good just in time. Right? So, <laughs> You're yeah, really just in ch- from Cheatham the Evil Midget. <laughs> Cheatham the Evil Midget, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, SummerSlam '94 also has a very again maybe underappreciated is the best word. Razor Ramon Diesel match for the Intercontinental Title. I, I like that match a lot. I, I like that match oh, yeah. too. Although yep, Walter sure. Payton is in Razor Ramon's corner. Hey, I mean, it made sense. It was in Chicago. He was on the Bears. It wasn't like, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it made sense for the it, local crowd. It is just, it, I, I did like that pandering. match a lot, too, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think this this has, it highlights a lot of the good stuff of 94. Yes. With those things. With Fred Owen, Razor Diesel. Even the the Bull Nakano thing. Oh, you know what? That's a that is a great match. Bull yeah. Nakano versus Alondra Scott. Remember that one? Uh, yeah, actually, that was that was another good match. Uh, yeah, ninety four was had some pretty good stuff on it. I was saying, yeah. um, Bull Nakano came across as such a you know challenger of the week type of thing, right? It was you know it, it's yeah, unfortunately there wasn't really much of a women's division at that point. It was mostly you know you know Alondra loses the title and then wins it back and the inspirational yep. thing set up the next second blah 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 right. But I mean like yeah, it was fine. That was a good match. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I really, really liked the uh, the Diesel Razor Ramon match. Mm. Really put me on the Kevin Nash train for a while there. Like you know, he was yeah, it's well it set done. It up well. It is very well done. I will unironically say that I was a huge fan of Diesel for you know much of 1994, uh, and uh, I was I was all on board with him winning the world title at, at that point, and that was a, that match was a big match for what reason why. Uh, odd Shawn Michaels took such a backseat to it, but I mean, that's how much he wanted his buddy to you know succeed, right? Like he yeah. he stepped back from the role, right, and let him. Yeah, really it was did. really weird that they won the tag team titles and then 
didn't defend them on the pay-per-view. Yeah. That was that was kind of a strange dynamic that they had going on there at that point. Were they just pulling the titles off of the head shrinkers to be safe because Samu was leaving or something like that? Yeah, I, I I've never been never really sure. Like I, unless it was just a thing where they wanted you know, they they just they just wanted to give the mega push to, to Diesel and Sean and yeah. you know one of the champions. But that was a weird period. That whole situation's weird with Sean taking. I never could understand. He just took some time off. From I, yeah, wrestling. I, I, as a Shawn Michaels fan, I just could never understand why this guy, who he's clearly more talented than, like why he would just because Diesel like, was more marketable at the time, probably yeah, more pushable and it's, it's still just, larger than life. It's just it's always baffled me. I, 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 that's my personal opinion on it. I understand, and I get it that it's his friend and stuff, yeah. but it just seems odd to me. That's all. I don't know. It and, worked and, out and, fine and, for Sean in the end. Can we talk about the main event? <laughs> and maybe this will be the last time I ever talk about this again. There was another main event? What? <laughs> no, it was just a cage match, right? And then the show ended. <laughs> yeah, you're right, yeah. Scott. That's right. Okay, so we can uh, move. Okay. No, well, yeah. Leslie Nielsen was looking for this main event the whole, yeah. the whole show, remember? Yeah, and, and not to rehash the angle so much, so let me just make this very brief for, <laughs> for everyone listening at home. The Undertaker died at Royal Rumble 94, went up to the heavens and turned into Marty Jannetty in a yep. costume. Yep. He was not heard from for many, many months. Then in the summer, right around the time that SummerSlam began to get promoted, Ted DiBiase was like, ah, ha, 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 I found the Undertaker, ha, ha, ha. So he brings him out to the Heartbreak Hotel, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's not the Undertaker, but everyone acts like it's the Undertaker. Right. Then Paul Bearer's somewhere in the middle of a field that they say is a graveyard or something, (laughs) and he's like, no, it's not true! I'll bring the real Undertaker! And then they were going to fight at the SummerSlam, and the Undertaker came out, and he had purple on this time, and the fake Undertaker had the gray, and the urn was really big, and it was a flashlight (laughs) now, and the match was really terrible, and the Underfaker was primetime Brian Lee, and he retained that dark hair all the way until he was chains, and it's a really bad match and the undertaker wore purple and what i want to know is Wait, so the undertaker wore purple you're saying yes yeah he was purple and what i want to know scott is do you know any like okay like <laughs> why did this why did they do this it's the only way i can ask boy you just you, you want to know like the meaning of life and uh, yeah. like any other tough questions as well now? see this one this one was such a weird. Yeah, it's such a G golly question. Yeah, who killed yeah. Kennedy and why did they do this match? <laughs> yeah. No, but it's like it was such a weird thing too because it's like even within you know the suspend your disbelief oddity of wrestling that we usually accept. Right. It's like Ted DiBiase brings out this guy who is clearly not the Undertaker, <laughs> and all the announcers are like, "Oh shit, it's the Undertaker. He's, <laughs> he's back from the dead, right?" It's like whereas any rational person would be like, "Well, this is clearly he's paid some guy to like to pretend to be the Undertaker, and then the real Undertaker will come back and beat him." But no, that's not what they did at all. They're like, "Well, it's 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 the Undertaker, and oh my god, there's a second Undertaker, and the two Undertakers are going to fight. It'll be like Time Cop, where you touch your former self, <laughs> and the universe will explode, right?" And yes. it's like. It's like, well, why, why couldn't they just do it the way that makes sense and just be like, oh, man, Teddy Biasi, he's full of shit. This is this guy's clearly, you know, like, yeah. that would have at least been a build that was at least a little bit sensible because then there's some heat behind it. As it was, though, it's like, are we supposed to not believe Teddy Biasi? Are we supposed to believe Teddy Biasi? Like, <laughs> Until later. <laughs> you see the science here right, behind right, the, yeah. the Undertaker? You know, like, I don't, I don't get it. 
Why did this taker not wear green gloves, by the way? I just throw that out that there. That would be obvious, Quinn. <laughs> were they trying? Never mind the fact that he was 6'4. Why were they trying? <laughs> the cover story. They don't want to blow the cover story. But why did the other Undertaker know to wear purple? <laughs> <laughs> There's so many questions. Yeah, and you know what? We're going to have more questions and more answers, hopefully, from Scott Keith later, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, folks, the new generation era is in full force, and Bret Hart fights a dentist. Back after this. From Harley Race to Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair to The Rock, Sting to Steve Austin, you're listening to our Vanish Point, the Retro Wrestling Podcast. He was taken away in his prime and won where no other man has been. Now, he has returned. Monday night, August 29th, Domino's Pizza delivers SummerSlam, a live World Wrestling Federation pay-per-view event. So hot, it's scary. I will not rest in peace. Hey, it's Sean Mooney. I may no longer be in the event center, but if I was, I'd be talking about our Vantage Point Retro Wrestling Podcast. All right, boys, let's get to it. And welcome back, wrestling fans, to our vantage point, the SummerSlam Spectacular. The SummerSlam. The SummerSlam. Um, we have been talking, of course, with the number one Zeus fan, Scott Keith. How you doing there, Scotty? Um, Zeusing it up over here, you betcha. <laughs> <laughs> and folks, at any time, of course, you can let us know your SummerSlam memories by reaching us on Twitter at OVP Podcast. You can email us at OVPPodcast at gmail.com. And you can, of course, if you haven't yet, go to the Facebook group and talk there. Even Scott will respond. If you if you have an important question, I asked him one recently, Scott will do his best to get to you. I do my best, yes. <laughs> We will now resume our SummerSlam run through here. The new generation era is in full effect here. We have Diesel, who has been the champion now mm-hmm. since November of 1994. He is fighting in the main event, <laughs> King mm. Mabel. With Ooh. Sir Mo, don't forget. With Sir Mo, yes. Don't Sir, Mo is, Sir Mo is at hand, of course. <laughs> Please don't forget the least important wrestler ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scott. Um, another blunt question for you. Why? Why Diesel versus Mabel? <laughs> well, they need, because Diesel was Hogan in their eyes and they needed a big fat heel for him to, to vanquish and Mabel was the biggest and fattest. So, you know, that's, <laughs> why not? Right. I guess. I mean, you know what? I'll give him credit. The, the actual wrestling match is a little bit better than you would think it would be. Oh, a little bit, but Mabel nearly killed, uh, Kevin Nash during the match. So, uh. Yeah, what was the spot where that happened? I've heard of that. Yeah, well, Kevin had a bad back, right? And uh, so he was like, okay, take it easy on me before the right. match, right? So they're, so they're doing a rear chin lock spot, and then Mabel sits on his back with the full force of his ass and, and basically <laughs> throws his back out. And you can actually, if you watch on the videotape, he's like, he's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and, just like, and so actually, and then actually after, after the match, Mabel went back to the dressing room and Vince fired him on the spot. Uh, he did? And, you know, really? Yeah. Hey, you can insert like a Vince, you're fired here if you want to with your editing brows. And then, and, and basically yeah, diesel saved his job and, and, you know, and, and asked him for another chance. And then of course, two months later, he then went and injured the undertaker and uh, there ain't no coming back from that. No, <laughs> you don't injure, you don't injure the undertaker. You don't mess with the undertaker. Yeah. He's already been killed the year before. He doesn't need this shit. <laughs> well, ironically, he would come back as the Undertaker's crony as yes. Viscera. Yeah, that's a way to bring it back, Quinn. Yeah, Very good. Go. <laughs> but also at this uh, event here, I alluded to it earlier. Bret Hart 
because they knew how to use him in 95. <laughs> he was fighting um, Big Daddy Dentist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of Scott's lines there. Fake <laughs> fake, uh, fake Diesel himself, Kane. Yep. But this is his Isaac Yankum guys. I guess he had just graduated, you know, dentistry school. So he was a dentist at this point, and he was Jerry Lawler's dentist. He fixed Jerry Lawler's teeth from the Smelly Foot incident yes. of King of the Ring. <laughs> so, of course, his dentist happens to be a wrestler. And Bret Hart fought him. This sucked, and <laughs> it's a testament to Bret Hart's ability as a wrestler, like, in the ring. Say what you want about him as a person, but as a wrestler, man, he still tried his ass off, but I just felt so bad. Quinn, what do you think of that whole thing? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it pretty much encapsulates 1995 to me. I mean, this is this is some of the prime stuff you think about yeah. when you think about the awfulness of this year. Right. This whole why is Brett fighting a dentist? You have like, Brett Hart. <laughs> I mean, like even looking on this card, I'm not saying we had to go through any of these matches, yeah. but like Barry Horowitz on SummerSlam, <laughs> like what? And, and and like Bertha Faye, like I'm just you look at this card. And, yeah. you know, going back to the dentist stuff, it's just it, it's just what what it was like. It, yeah. It's just what this year was. Scott, what do you know about that whole scenario there with Brett versus uh, Isaac? Well, I mean, they're basically trying to keep Brett around and doing stuff until they, they can get the world title on him again, really. But I mean, yeah, mm. I mean, like they really liked Glenn Jacobs, obviously, like they kept trying to find find a spot for him. Right. Like, you know, he, they gave him all these tryout matches and then they gave him the dentist gimmick. And I mean, it's it's a solid idea in theory. I guess. Sort of. A dentist, right? And, you know, like, he's, oh, he's an evil dentist. He likes to drill people's teeth, right? So, you know, like, it's it's an easy character to get your head around, you know? Like, it's pretty obvious who you're going to boo when you come out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird thing for, like, a third from the top heel to, to be doing, right? Like, it's, you know, it's yeah. a wrestling dentist. Like, well, if he's that successful a dentist, why is he wrestling? I mean, like, he can make way more exactly. than a dentist, you know? Never understood that. And how does he happen to be from Decatur? <laughs> I don't know. No one likes a dentist, though. That's a good yeah. point. Who likes the dentist? I yeah. mean, it, it makes total sense. Quinn, you don't like the dentist. I don't like the dentist, but, you know, you got to make an appointment are, sometimes. Are you an anti-dentite? I'm not an anti-dentite, <laughs> just for the record. I am not an anti-dentite. You're a rabid anti-dentite. <laughs> I just, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay. I'll admit it. Well, I'll say this. The match and the angle was like pulling teeth. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, an interesting match here. Razor Ramon challenging this time for the Intercontinental title against Shawn Michaels, the incumbent Intercontinental champion. Is this true, Scott? They booked this match. It was originally supposed to be Shawn versus said They booked it because they realized the card sucked. Yes, that is absolutely true. <laughs> Although it's really the other, the other really wacky thing about that match is that the sponsors came to Vince before the match and said, said we don't want the ladder used as a weapon. So one of the things was that Vince had to tone down the violence a lot. Really? So, so yeah. So the sponsors came to Vince with the specific demand that the ladder not be used as a weapon in the match. So if you actually watch the match, which by the way, in a lot of ways I consider to be the equal of the WrestleMania match, huh. uh, it was a fantastic match. Yeah. But, it, but at no point. Does one person hit the other person with the ladder? Weird. Uh, it, it's weird. I don't remember it that way. Yeah. Well, if that's the thing, it's that's that's how well constructed it was. It's like Alfred Hitchcock doing the violence off screen, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything's applied. Uh, the, the, the most violent thing that happens in the match is at one point I think Razor or Sean pushes the ladder over and it falls on the other person, but it's not. It was never directly used as a weapon. They could put it in the corner for instance, whip the other guy into it. Right. Right. So that in that case, then the ladder happens to be in the way of an offensive move. It's incidental. It's incidental. 
But yeah, no. If you if you watch the match, at no point is the match is the ladder used as a striking weapon, which which kind of blew my mind that they were still able to get like a five star match yeah. out of it, mm-hmm. given those kind of confines on it. But uh, I mean, obviously, it was a great decision to switch from the, the Sean Sid match because, as you say, yeah. basically that was that's what it was. Is they they were going through the, the card and they were like, well, <laughs> this show is going to blow chunks, so let's uh, let's give them a great match, right? Yeah, and Razor had been doing nothing really at that point, and uh, Sid was really Shawn Michaels' number one foe at that point. Yeah, it is very, very, very good. Yeah, it, it, it is good, and I, I remember this was the first SummerSlam I ever saw. Believe it or not, right? It sucked, but you know, I, <laughs> I, you know, I will say this: I, that match did save the show for me. It did. And all this time thinking, you guys mentioned it like twice about how this show sucked on paper or whatever, and they added it. Yeah. That's 1995 for you right there. Again, yeah. it, it just, it really fits its time. One so, match is good or, or like, so usually. Yeah, and it's yeah. like the fact that somebody had to look at the card and say it sucked yeah. to add this is I, insane. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the problem, too, was that Vince was getting very, they're starting to get very overwhelmed because they, they was turning into nuclear proliferation with pay-per-views being added every month, right? Right. Yeah. They were doing all the in-your-house shows now in 1995, and, like, there people were getting very burned out, I think. <laughs> On the creative end of things, I think that was part of the problem that they were encountering was they, they had to keep up with WCW and they just they didn't want to. Vince Vince would have stayed at you know four to six pay per views a year forever if he could have. I think. Sure. Yeah, I think he would have too. It's just that WCW raised the bar there and right. you know basically yeah. said your move. Uh, as we move on to 1996, which was from Cleveland, uh, this was in Pittsburgh by the way. 95. 1996 had a main event of world champion now, Shawn Michaels, defending against Vader, who had been a feared guy in Japan and WCW. He came into the WWF in January of 96, made his presence known at the Royal Rumble, beat up Gorilla Monsoon the night after, which was a no-no at the time. You know, no remember, one had done that. Yeah, I remember that. That was a big deal. That was a big that deal. That really put him over in my eyes as a heel. Yep. He um, beat up Yokozuna, and they had to take him away on a forklift. That's another highlight of Vader's uh, 96 <laughs> run. But by um, August, he found himself in a world title match. And Scott, I wanted to ask you, is there any truth, or is this maybe just an old rumor, that Vader was supposed to go over here and Sean vetoed it, or is that just some gobbledygook, so to speak? Uh, not quite. It's close. Uh, nope. Vader was always supposed to not win. Okay. Originally, it was actually it was not supposed to be Shawn Michaels winning winning the match in the end either. Here, there was it was basically going to just be like a disqualification or some other uh, schmozzy non finish mm-hmm. at the end of it, and then that was going to lead to Survivor Series where Vader would win the title. Okay. You know, because then you had it's time in December, right? Which makes no sense for anything other than Vader coming in as world champion. Correct. Well, it was time. <laughs> it was time. It's yeah. time. That's right. So, but but yeah, like Vader was not actually supposed to win the match, but he was also not supposed to lose the match either. Okay. Uh, Sean basically, and, and as noted, Sean basically threw a fit during the middle of the match on the, the blown spot, and that was kind of a legendary thing, too, where he had a, he had a tantrum mid-match, and, and he had some personality conflicts with Vader, and uh, just before the match went in, he basically went to Vince and said, uh, we're, we're dropping this whole Vader storyline, I don't care what's been advertised, I, I, he doesn't, and I'm not losing the title to him, and wow. they had to kind of re- redo the whole thing. Yeah, kind of, you gotta feel kind of bad for Vader. Yeah, you know, yeah. He, got, he got a real tough break. Yeah, running into into the Shawn Michaels thing, which is weird because you'd think Vader would have been the guy that Vince would have favored over somebody like Shawn Michaels, right? Like, you know, it's but it was a different time then. True. It's really a shame because I like Shawn Michaels and I like mm-hmm. Vader. Yeah. And I don't remember this match being anything of note. It was okay. Yeah. Like right? I mean it was I, a good match, but it was yeah. I mean it was okay. It was just you know, it's like forgettable. Right. It's just like I looking back if you saw, uh, like you see now, mm-hmm. you know, fans who may have not been around during this time, 
and they might see Shawn Michaels versus Vader on paper. They would think, oh, this is this, this is going to be great. And, yeah, it's you know, what it, it is. it's just a shame that, you know, like you said, all this backstage politics. And yeah. That it just kind of ended up being whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was good, but Sean just didn't want to play ball. Shawn Michaels never, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Shocking. You know, I wanted to to further dispel the King of the Ring Austin three sixteen myth here. You know, because the WWE yeah. narrative seems to be that this King of the Ring promo happened, right? Yes. And then all of a sudden, Austin was this big breakout star. No, in fact, he is on the pre-show here. Yep. Defeating Yoko Zuna in about a minute when Yoko broke the rope or something. So it, I remember that. Though. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess I don't have a real question here. I guess I just wanted to point out, maybe either of you tell me if I'm wrong. Austin's push, so to speak, really didn't start, unless I'm wrong, until maybe a month or two later with the Bret Hart feud, right? Like he was, he's on the pre show here. Yeah, no, Bret had to push hard to get Austin any kind of push. Like that was pretty much all Bret who, uh, because otherwise Vince, Vince didn't see it with Austin really is what it amounted to. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, how do you, how do you miss that? But I mean, I guess Bischoff did too. So I mean, Good point. Yeah, but he had already given the promo at this point. Yeah, but the the promo is a promo, you know? However, however, I do remember the feeling after that, because I saw that pay-per-view live. There was something with this guy. It's not like he should be in a pre-show. You're a fan, though. I mean, Vince didn't see it. Yeah, but I mean... Yeah, online, though, people were going crazy for him. Like, as soon as the Austin 316 happened, like, like the internet was just, boom, 100% pro-Austin, right, the whole way. Right. So there was something there. It's just it took a while to, to follow into the mainstream, essentially. Right, exactly, because he's here fighting fucking Yokozuna. Yeah, just like Roman Reigns, you know. So we're we're all just waiting now for the mainstream <laughs> to catch up with yeah, the guys on the big exactly. dog, you know. <laughs> yeah. And one other thing I wanted to bring up about '96 before we hop ahead to '97, and that would be the boiler room brawl, uh, an extension, an arm, if you will, of the Undertaker Mankind feud that was going on. This was probably the first. In the WWF's more cinematic backstage fights that they would go on to have later on in 98 and 1999, it was, I think, pre-taped. Uh, Quinn, do you have any thoughts on the Boiler Room Brawl? I think it absolutely set mankind where he needed to be. Like okay. this, this, as a fan watching this, the fact that he beat The Undertaker was a big deal to me. Yeah, Bearer turned on The Undertaker and Mankind yeah. won, yep. Yes, and it, it it established, like, Mankind isn't a weirdo on superstars anymore that hmm. beats up jobbers. Like, okay. this, to me, was his coming out party. I don't know what everybody else thought of it in Sc- that sense, but that's, for me, is this is when I took notice of Mankind. Okay, Scott, what do you think of this whole thing? Yeah, no, it was a really good match. Uh, it was, it was in fact, pre-taped. Well, the first half it was. I mean, obviously, when they got the arena, then it was live. Right. Otherwise, they'd be dealing with weird hologram stuff that wouldn't be around yet. <laughs> not yet not yet uh yeah it was it was really good mankind nearly killed himself off the ladder off the ladder yep uh, that's that's a famous thing in the free boat in his book mm-hmm. where he uh he landed in the wrong place and was nearly paralyzed so you know another just another day at the office for mcfoley basically <laughs> that was, it was it was a highlight of what i thought was pretty much a kind of lackluster mid-level SummerSlam that I don't really remember much about yeah. other than Terry Lawler Jake Roberts nonsense oh no, yeah, yeah that crap that was bad yep Let's move ahead to 97 now. 
New Jersey is the site. Once again, finally, wrestling had come back. Televised wrestling had come back to New Jersey, as evidenced by our governor at the time, Christy Todd Whitman, yes. <laughs> uh, and Gorilla Monsoon, I think, of The Undertaker, and they gave her a belt, and they're like, wrestling's back, let's kill the taxes or in something. A, in a really <laughs> awkward thing that they actually showed on television, and weirder for us, I think, because yeah. we were actually New Jerseyans, <laughs> yes. and we knew who the governor was. <laughs> right. Like, just a strange thing, but I, this pay-per-view... This was it's this is like SummerSlam coming back. This is like yeah, you know what? In a way, it is SummerSlam coming back. It's got some feel good moments to it uh, for a face fan or someone that's maybe uh, you know an American at the time. Let's say it's not a feel good moment because in the main event. Bret Hart wins his fifth as he yeah, very much rubbed five, in everyone's yeah. face when he won. Fifth world title from the champion at the time, The Undertaker, because of Shawn Michaels as the ref there, and he hit him with a chair by accident, blah, blah, blah. I thought it was a great way for Bret to go over. I thought it was great for the Bret-Shawn feud. I thought it was great the way it kicked off The Undertaker-Shawn feud, you yep. know, which led to DX. Right. Uh, Scott, your overall thoughts on that Bret Hart-Undertaker match and the ensuing angle? Well, I mean, like, th- this was obviously a banner time to be a, uh, a fan of the Hart Foundation <laughs> yeah. in Canada, so was, everything was kind of leading up to there. Um, I felt like Jim Cornette's fingerprints were a little too much all over mm. the show, though, as far as the booking goes with, you know, you know, British Bulldog has to, what is it? He has to eat a can of dog food if he loses or that like is, that. And, yeah. You know, like, there is some weird yeah, stipulations. And, and, yeah. And like, and you know, Owen Hart has to kiss Sean, Steve, or Steve Austin has to kiss Owen Hart's ass if he loses. And all that kind of, like, that's all, that's all very much Jim Cornette's Southern booking philosophy. Yeah. I think even more so the Brian Pillman having to wear a dress. Brian Pillman wearing a dress. That's, that's, that's really person, Southern. You know? Yeah. That shit belongs in Smoky Mountain or yeah. something like that. What are we doing yep. here, Cornette? <laughs> Thinks he's so good. But uh, yeah, you know what? That, I'm glad you brought that up, Scott. The dog food match there. What were they doing with Ken Shamrock at this point? That <laughs> seems to me like a waste of him and his talent and the way to market him. Yeah, I know. It was, it was a strange, uh, strange thing. Like, like famously, uh, Eric Bischoff has said that he created Goldberg soon after as a way to show the WWF exactly how they should have been using Ken Shamrock all along. Right. So, I mean, yeah, score one for Bischoff in that category. Score one for Bischoff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because, you know, Shamrock went from coming in with a pretty legit angle to him you know like he was a shoot fighter he beat up vader and and i guess he actually hurt him too in real life but he beat up vader right and he was doing like submission moves and stuff and now he's fighting a match with the british bulldog where if he loses he has to eat dog food (laughs) i mean it's weird what what are you gonna say Cornette was a genius obviously though Quinn. i mean the one thing i do notice because i've been watching some of the raws building up to this right a lot of what all these stipulations, the logical sense of it was that the Hart Foundation was kind of shooting their mouths off a lot. I, I, I recall in the, in the Raws saying, yes, you know, Brett, I'm not going to wrestle in America. And then after that, it like triggered everyone doing a stipulation. Uh, you know, another one that might be forgotten is actually that Jim Neidhart said that if any of the Hart Foundation members lost, he would shave his goatee. Yes. But he right. disappeared. He disappeared after this. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. (laughs) And then he reappeared later and the whole thing was forgotten. So I think that was a little bit of a cop out there. Obviously, you know, some other things that happened at SummerSlam that I just want to gloss over real quick. Owen Hart, you know, and Steve Austin, we all know what happened there with the the neck injury. Yeah. Sad because it couldn't have happened, you know, to the worst guy in terms of like the wrong timing. Right. With Austin and by a nicer, well-meaning guy. Yeah. Than Owen Hart. That being said, Steve Austin was living on borrowed time. One way or another. The doctors had already told him he had the neck of a 90-year-old man. Before this. Before that even, yeah. So, I mean, people assign a lot of the blame to Owen Hart and that, but I mean, at some point or another, he was going to take a bad bump and it was going to be all over, right? So, I mean, like, it wasn't great of Owen Hart. 
no. to, to do the power farm that <laughs> way. Sit but sit down I mean, like that, no. To sit down like that. But I mean, like, at, at the same time, though, I mean, like, Austin had, it was kind of like Tyson Kidd, right? Like, he was, uh, he mm. only had so many punches left on the bump card, as they say. Right, I got you. You know, as as silly as that whole thing came off with him pinning Owen, yeah, it still was kind of a feel good thing in a weird way. Austin won the IC title fight. Yeah, I, I I don't know. They 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 did what they could. They did you what know? they could. It was doomed though. Once they did. <laughs> that would that would never ever happen today. Of course, I mean, no. like as soon as that happened, the match would be stopped, and that would be down. And they'd be like, be like fans, the performance is over. And yeah, yeah that would be, performance, yeah. right? Exactly. This is not part of tonight's entertainment. Yeah, this is not part of tonight's entertainment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, you know, I'd be God, like it's like the guts on Steve Austin. But like, can you yeah, imagine? Yeah. He basically has paralysis, and he still manages to get behind Owen and, and pin him, and then walk out to the yeah on his own power. Like, God, this guy is crazy tough. No wonder he became such a superstar. Yeah, you're absolutely right. As we hop ahead to '98, this is now back at Madison Square Garden where it all began. Right, ten years later, and we are on the highway to hell, Quinn. Oh, as we, we are. mentioned Monday, yeah. uh, great theme song. Oh, they were using fantastic. licensed music, right? And yeah. Great main event. I thought it is the Undertaker challenging Stone Cold Steve Austin for the world title. We talked about this Monday, Quinn. Great match, Scott. Since Quinn and I already talked about it in our previous show, what do you think of that whole match there? Well, I mean, obviously it was a little bit weird because Steve Austin knocked himself loopy early in the match, and it was it ended up <laughs> essentially being Undertaker working the whole match like himself, it's just like Mark did, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So this SummerSlam was actually did more buys than a lot of WrestleManias did, which is kind of astonishing how hot wrestling was in the attitude. I mean, it did 700,000 buys, which is Jeez. like, it's like, that's like, you know, WrestleMania numbers. Cause it's like, Hey, how about that? You take a hot wrestling star who's world champion, put him up against another big star and promote the hell out of it. And people will buy the show. How about that? Huh? Yeah. But, what, uh, what a yeah. concept. What a concept. Yeah. No, I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was a good match. I think Austin's really hard on himself even today now. Uh, mm-hmm. He does these podcast interviews where he basically talks about how disappointed he was ended up being in the match because, you know, he and he got hurt early and uh, mm-hmm. didn't really know what was going on for the rest of it. But uh, I, I think I, it's a fantastic card up and down, I think. I think um, so, yeah. It's one of, my, one of my favorites on the slams. It's, you know, feel good moments. I would, yeah, I would say this. This is the closest thing akin to the old style yes. summer slams. Mm-hmm. Right. This is the Attitude Era's version of like a SummerSlam 91. Absolutely like, is. It, it just feels like let's feature all the cool stuff we're doing uh-huh. in this super fun card. And it's no wonder it did the buys. You said it did, Scott. Austin fighting The Undertaker. You had The Rock fighting Triple H for the Intercontinental title in a ladder mm-hmm. match. You had The Outlaws teaming up against Mankind. It was supposed to be Kane and Mankind. Let's go to 99 now. We go to Minneapolis. And one of the things that happened here was a triple threat match. It was the main event for the world title. It was the champion Steve Austin <laughs> versus Triple H versus Mick Foley. Scott, I want to ask you, because you'll you'll know better than either of us will. You'll remember more and you probably have more insight. Why wasn't this just Austin and Triple H one-on-one for the world title if they were going to give the world title to Triple H anyway? Yeah. So they wanted to. There was a couple of different factors involved in it. But the long and the short of it is that Steve Austin didn't really want to lose the world title to Triple H, and Jesse Ventura didn't really want to be involved with holding up the hand of the heel in Minneapolis at the <laughs> end of the show. <laughs> and there was a couple of other factors as well, but that's that's kind of the main ones. And so they they were just like, okay, well, we'll stick Mick Foley in there because Steve Austin had no problem putting over Mick Foley. So Foley could lose in the 24 hours after that. He could then lose the title to Triple H because at that point, Steve Austin wouldn't give a shit. So right. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's just, it's, it worked out. That, that's kind of what worked out best. For okay. everybody uh, to do there. 
that's kind of what I figured. It just when I saw that one live, <clears throat> believe it or not, I was ready for Austin to not be champion anymore. I was okay with it. Yeah, I really thought Triple H was winning, and when Foley hit that double arm DDT on Austin and pinned him clean, I think even yes. the crowd, the crowd was kind of like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, everybody. Every, I mean, everybody thought Triple H was winning that match, and I mean, Triple H thought he was winning that match too up until a couple <laughs> months before the match, right? So yeah. But so, then there was the whole weird buildup with it too beforehand, where like China was involved in the match. Yeah, for a while, yeah. Like, you know, just all kinds of crazy Russo nonsense and Russo nonsense, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right, and exactly, and the governor's telling them what to do and changing the booking too. And right. what the hell's going well, on? I mean, and just Jesse Ventura was involved with the match out of spite against WCW more than anything too, which was really funny because he was he he had the longstanding feud with Vince McMahon. But I guess he hated WCW even more for the way that, uh, <laughs> you know, that their relationship ended. So he, he just, he, you know, he, he wanted to put the screws to, to Eric Bischoff specifically. So it just, just goes to show the, the, the power of hatred. Yeah. There you go. Quinn, what do you think of that main event? I mean, it's funny. The most thing, the most I remember of this mm-hmm. is just Jesse raising hands at the end. And he has the long sleeve ref shirt too. Which yeah. Is weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this SummerSlam, right? Not good. He went from like, you know, oh, it's feel good SummerSlam again, right? To mm-hmm. just another, like, this could have just been an in your house. This could have been something. an in your house. Yeah. yeah like, could have been fully loaded. You know, you look at this card. I do remember the Greenwich Street fight. That's good. Yeah, Tess Chain is good. Shane. And I also remem- remember slightly the whole Ken Shamrock or Steve Blackman in a lion's den. Another lion's den, huh? Yeah, the next year. I didn't remember that, actually. Yeah. I knew they fought, but, yeah. you know, can we talk about real quick, and then we'll hop over to 2000. Why did they want to push Billy Gunn so hard, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> because he's tall and muscular and had a full head of hair. Those are the three qualities you need to be a top-level WWE star. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. They'd been trying for three years. Like was, You're right. Really didn't work, huh? Really did not work. No, I mean, I was just... Not only he got a bad match out of The Rock, but then he got a bad match out of Chris B- as yeah. well like a year <laughs> later, right? It's like, well, how do you do that? Yeah, maybe it's him. Maybe we start to connect the dots. Maybe it's Billy Gunn. <laughs> it took maybe long enough, the- didn't it? <laughs> but but then again, he's coming off the heels of the one of the best tag teams of the nineties, as I said. Yeah, it, you know, one like, of the most popular tag right, teams. Anyway. Right. Well, I mean, you know, to some people, they would be the best tag team because they were so popular. You know, I feel like though, in the feud with the Rock, at the point when when The Rock did the famous promo where God himself is mocking Billy Gunn as a top draw. <laughs> yes. Maybe, maybe it's not going to work out so well for you. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't believe that Billy Gunn made it all the way up to the match before the main event yeah. of a pay-per-view. All I'm saying is that, you know, at least they tried with Billy Gunn, you know, like they, they had reason. Yes. They had reason to. Let's put it that yeah, way. But they tried again the following year. That's the bigger problem. That, no, the, that is a bigger the problem. one yeah, Billy Gunn. That, that's the yes. bigger problem. But at this point, I can see it. Okay, you know, fair that's, enough. That's all. I'm just pointing it out in, in the time frame, the context. You all know? right. Well, let's head down south to Raleigh, North Carolina. As we go to SummerSlam 2000, one that I saw. This is during a year, folks, where almost every pay-per-view was good <laughs> in 2000. <laughs> almost. Maybe 8 out of 12, 9 out of 12. A lot of them were really good. And SummerSlam was a good one. And there's a few highlights I want to just bring up real quick. One of them is we had a very interesting and pretty damn good hardcore match between Steve Blackman and Shane McMahon. Remember that one, Scott? I remember Shane McMahon nearly dying, but I don't really remember the match itself, to be honest. Not bad, honestly. I mean, not not an all-time classic by any means. I mean, really, overall for the show, I only remember two matches, and everything else is just a total blur, but I mean, like... What else do you got from there? I mean, you know, the triple threat main event, obviously, and then the the first ever TLC match. 
First ever TLC. Great match. That yep. set a template, you know, that set a template that they still try to attain today, even in their toned down, you know, way. They yeah. still try to find things like that. And not only that, there was a weird bit of, bit of weirdness with the building, build up, right? Cause you had the Dudley boys who were the, you know, masters of the tables and you had, you know, the Hardy boys who were the masters of the ladders. Right. So in order to get to it, then they wanted a TLC match. So then they had to go backwards. And it started getting all the stuff where Edge and Christian were using chairs all the time, right? And right, mm-hmm. kind of retcon it. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, they retcon it, right? So they so that way, then Edge and Christian, they had this strange thing where it's like, oh my god, they have chairs. They're you know these dangerous chair swinging lunatics, right? They're, <laughs> yeah. they're chairmen now. Yeah, they're chairmen. Yeah, yeah, they're, so, they're La Parka. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of it was an interesting way to, and, and you know, obviously that stuck with them, you know, for for years afterwards too, right? right. So that was, I, I thought that was an interesting uh, little little way to to book the match backwards. Yeah. It was, and it worked. I mean, hey, it was very well remembered. It was very successful. Very successful. Very successful. Although, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm surprised they were in Raleigh, North Carolina. Like, why didn't the Hardy Boys win the match, right? Like, you'd think that would... Because, the you know, the hometown heroes always win. Yeah, yeah. heroes always win. Yeah, I know. Well, okay, and they won the next month anyway, so, like... Yeah, you're right. Looking at this card real quick, The Undertaker versus Kane that is sucks. on this card. That, that was yeah, dumb. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. That was supposed to be Undertaker against Big Show, but he, Big Show was, was having his problems, so... Oh, that's right. He was gone for a while, right? Yeah, uh, he got uh, he, he got written out of the show because Jim Ross was mad at him for, for not losing enough weight or... You know, whatever whatever the deal was exactly. So he, that was his punishment. Is that he was taken off the card in place with King. You gotta lose more weight, there, Big Show. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta. Yeah, that's that's some coming from Jr. You, you don't look cool. You don't look cool. You gotta take some laps in the swimming pool. And then uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up: the main event was was pretty damn good in the height of the Chris Kresge uh, love triangle that everyone seems to love, and including myself. But yeah. Got to ask you this one, Scott. Now, Quinn, I actually, you know, let me start with you, Quinn, because this is a stupid match that happened there and it was a stupid feud. Taz, Jerry Lawler. What the <laughs> hell was going on there, Quinn? I don't know. Like, <laughs> Why did this, they this, do that? Okay, you want to know how I remember Taz in the WWE yeah, in general? Ahead. Yeah. He comes in with the, like, jumpsuit and he immediately sucks. <laughs> like, if, if. Like, I honestly forgot this existed. Right, exactly. Like, no joke. Like It's such a waste of them. They had him feud with an announcer. Scott, why? I don't know. <laughs> even, more important, even, even more important, like, then why did they hire Raven? It's like, you know, yeah. like, yeah. like, who the fuck hired Raven, right? Like, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. 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 Who the fuck hired Raven? <laughs> it was such a, yeah, it was such a weird thing. And like, I don't, I don't know what they're doing with Taz, honestly, not, at that point. And like the weirder part of this whole thing is the feud started because Taz was picking on JR and King, <laughs> yeah. who was a heel, punched Taz because King always punches people, whether it's Santino, <laughs> it's you know, yeah, he just punches people. And then he's like, Lola, you know, and then, <laughs> hey, Lola, you better sit your ass down before you get choked out. This is between him and me. Sit down. Shut up. And then JR hit him with a candy dish. Because again, the candy <laughs> dish. Oh, yeah. with the candy dish in 2000. Oh, you son of a bitch. I'm going to hit you, you son of a bitch. Yeah. And then the next month, I think it was, Raven came out of nowhere and killed the king with Taz yeah. and everyone was happy. Because <laughs> enough of this. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> and that's all you need to know about Taz in the WWE. Ugh. And folks, we'll do one more pay-per-view here. We always consider, you know, our retro period to go up to around you know, the early 2000s, and I figured it was only fitting that we cap it off with kind of the end of the Attitude Era here, which was, most people agree, was 2001. SummerSlam 2001 from San Jose, California. Couple of good highlights here, uh, one of which was Rob Van Dam versus Jeff Hardy. Oh, yeah. RVD won the hardcore title. 
I remember that. Yeah, gotta, that was good. Yeah, and you got to remember, ECW had only closed, you know, earlier in the year. Pretty big deal to see Rob Van Dam winning, you know, a hardcore title, but a title yeah. on WWF television now, from Jeff Hardy. Now, you have to remember, we're in the midst of the invasion feud. Yes, we are. It's uh, still going on. People have representation here. Absolutely. So that's probably why RVD was being pushed. And he should have been. I yeah. mean, he's still a gas in the tank. Scott, oh, yeah. Any recollections of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, RVD should have been a much bigger star based off that whole thing. Like, yeah, they completely dropped the ball with that one. Like they, uh, they, they, he could have come in and won the world title like pretty much right away. I think. Right, no, definitely, he could have, and yeah. people would have bought it. And he was still remembered from that whole time that ECW was on WWF from '97. He was yeah. Mister Monday Night. Yeah, people knew who he was, and especially with ECW on TNN in '99 and 2000, his his series with Jerry Lynn, for what it's worth, I mean, it's a little overrated in terms of the quality of the wrestling. It's okay, but it did actually attract a lot of attention amongst wrestling fans at the time. Right. And he was accessible on on national television, right? Or Nashville television, maybe. <laughs> uh, but also at this pay per view, something that was really horrible was Kane and the Undertaker beating the crap out of DDP and Canyon. Ugh. And Scott, I wanted to talk to you about that because Quinn and I, we know DDP was old by this point; he was forty five. But don't you think they really blew it with DDP in the WWF? Oh yeah, for sure. They, yeah, that whole thing was just ridiculous spite against WCW and all kinds of nonsense right. like that. It was. The, the fact that, you know, Undertaker just completely squashed him basically single-handedly. Right. That match was, was ludicrous, and then led to Chronic coming in, and they looked like complete goofs as well. <laughs> oh, no. Like, oh, no. Uh, Chronic. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. They had a bona fide star, and even if, like you said, the 45 thing, yeah. I think we had discussed this before. Uh-huh. Even if they could get, like, a year out of him, it would have been worth it. Right. As a top-level guy, or yeah. near the top, maybe. Yeah. That's what never never made sense. Is like he was the stalker, right? Right. And he takes off the mask. He gets a huge pop. I remember that. Everyone's like, yeah, "Holy it was, shit!" It was it's awesome. DDP, right? Yeah. Undertaker literally just beats him up until DDP leaves or something. Yep. I don't know. That's pretty much what it was. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Joe, he had to get revenge for Sarah. <laughs> Sarah Taker. Yeah, Sarah Taker. Everybody loves Sarah Taker, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is, did people actually call her that back on um, back on your old website, Scott? Yeah, I feel they like call people her Sarah, to... Sarah Undertaker, yeah. Sarah Undertaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, um, we'll talk about real quick what I thought should have been a bigger deal in hindsight. Maybe it was, and maybe I don't remember it as such, but that would be The Rock versus Booker T for the WCW title. Very weird to see that title defended a, you know, in a main in a, event and a main event of a WWE event, but also a meeting of two pretty big stars. I mean, uh, pretty big, probably understated for The Rock, but Booker T when he still had a lot of life uh, left in him. so over at this point. That was a big yeah. marquee match, I thought. Yeah. Do, you, do you have uh, memories of that one at all, Scott? It was a very forgettable match. I mean, there was a bunch of... Yeah. Like, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember there was a bunch of bullshit with Shane McMahon and that, but I mean, I, gotta, I remember more about both Steve Austin and Kurt Angle match than, uh, right. than the Rock Booker T match. Right. That was the, At that point, I was... I was kind of in with a bunch of the writers in, in WWE, so I mean, like they were all championing the, the Kurt Angle stuff. So that's kind of the stuff I heard mm-hmm. about when I was I was chatting with them. So like, it's, I didn't really hear much about the about the Booker T match, and it was it was a very forgettable match as well. It was forgettable, right? And I just I always feel like it should have been bigger. But you're right. I mean, Angle really came into his own during the Invasion Angle. I mean, no pun intended, but yeah. like he really became a breakout star of that whole thing. Yeah, which can make more of the shame that they they screwed everything up so badly the way they did. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, this, this, at this SummerSlam, this should have been 
the real like you know the invasion angle should have taken off at this point yeah as a follow-up to the to the month before yeah right? yeah like i to this day I, we could do a whole freaking episode uh, yeah. about the, the failure of that but i mean you got so many it, it, the whole pay-per-view is structured as a you know alliance versus wwf mm-hmm. and all this and no it is i i don't know it's just they they just dropped the ball as we know with all this. They did, uh, but more often than not, I feel like a lot of these older SummerSlams, they didn't drop the ball, and that's a nice feeling. Yeah. And I think to bring it back around here before we wrap up, the SummerSlam as a as a pay-per-view, especially in the in the 90s, you right. know, the, maybe the first half of the 90s, really was a feel-good show for the most part, where the yeah. faces won, and it was the dead of summer, you know, and it just felt good. Yeah. And I've had a good time, I gotta say. It's bringing back a lot of memories, you know. Had a good time reminiscing with you gentlemen. Well, it was great. It was great. Folks, if you're watching SummerSlam this Sunday... Have fun doing that, but until then, folks, we will be back on Monday for episode number 45. We want to thank the one and only Scott Keith, the number one Zeus fan, apparently, (laughs) for being with us. Scott, as always, thank you so much, and a shout-out to the Blog of Doom out there. Yep, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, I appreciate it. And, of course, you can find me at blogofdoom.com. I'm on Twitter at RSBWFAQ. I'm on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash RSBWFAQ. Also, we're for Inside Pulse, and you can find me every week on the Sporting News around Wednesday with a new list. There you have it. And he's also obtaining Zeus autographs you know on the weekends (laughs) so until monday folks thank you so much have a great weekend we will see you on monday see ya you know i think when most people imagine that you got to fight your brother-in-law in in the summer slam that it's going to break up a lot of families and that's exactly what's happening this whole family of mine is falling apart people are picking sides everybody's involved everybody's mad everybody's the tension You wouldn't believe the tension. But let me tell you something. It took me a long time to climb to the top. I got the title. I got the Intercontinental title. And it took the British Bulldog a long time to climb to the top. And we're both there. And we've both got to do what we got to do. And in the SummerSlam, the British Bulldog... He's going to win whether he wants to or not. ...by now, Gene Okerlund with Ravishing Rick Rude and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Gentlemen, as you know, the ultimate warrior... (laughs) What? <laughs> what?